Hello, thank you for tuning in. This is Love What I Love, a podcast where we beg our partner to love something we do, whether it be a movie, TV show, or anything in between. We're your hosts, Andy and Masha, and this week we're talking about Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Roger Rabbit is a 1988 live-action slash animated hybrid comedy noir mystery film <laughs> written by Jeffrey Price and Peter Seaman and directed by Robert Zemeckis. It stars Bob Hoskins, Charles Fleischer, Christopher Lloyd, and Kathleen Turner and is based on a 1981 novel Who Censored Roger Rabbit by Gary K. Wolfe. It follows a cartoon-hating private detective named Eddie Valiant, who is hired to exonerate Roger Rabbit after he is accused of murdering a wealthy businessman. Wow, that was a lot of information, Andy. This movie does a lot of things. <laughs> First of all, I feel bad for Mr. Seaman. That <laughs> all right. <laughs> school must have sucked for that guy. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I, was, I, saw it, I saw it spelt, and I was like, it can't be pronounced that way. And then I saw some like behind-the-scenes stuff. I'm like, yeah, that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> Peter Seaman. Also, do I know Mr. Valiant from anything else? His face looks so familiar. Bob Hoskins? Yeah. Probably. I mean, he's a very famous actor. I don't know what you would have known him from. Maybe he that's what the um, Home Alone guy modeled himself after. <laughs> Joe Pesci? Yeah. First of all, calling Joe Pesci the Home Alone guy is mad disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bob Hoskins, he's had a long career. I can't really think of something that would stick out that you would know. Did all you ever right. see... The Jet Li movie Unleashed mm. came out in the 2000s. I did once. Oh, okay. He's like the main bad guy in that. Okay. He's like the guy who like keeps him leashed. Um, that was hard to watch. Yeah. Yeah, it was. That was a yo-wo. Um, but yeah, Bob Hoskins is a goddamn... He's one of the all-time greats. Sad thing is that a lot of younger people, or by young pe- and by young people, I mean people like me who are 30 now, <laughs> know him from was he played Mario in the awful Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh. Uh, so, <laughs> so I always think that, like, I wonder if... He took that role because of how this movie seems so silly on paper and turned out to be a huge success and the biggest movie of his career. Uh, so maybe he was like, ah, maybe they could, I could do the same with Mario. <laughs> nope. No. <laughs> Did it ruin his career? No. Oh. I, don't think, I don't think he could. He was too good. All right. Um, but yeah, um, he was great uh, up until he retired from acting in 2012 because he was diagnosed with Parkinson's. Oh, no. And then he ended up passing away two years later. Damn. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, he's great. Wow. And Eddie Valiant will always be the role I know him from. He's, he's so he's perfect in this movie. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. Um, I can't believe this movie was able to be made, but I'm sure you'll get into that. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's, it was, spoiler alert, it wasn't easy. <laughs> it wasn't easy. It did not, uh, did not, it was not an overnight, uh, you know, make it in one year type movie. Yeah. So yeah, like a little background, like I mentioned in the intro there, this is based on a book that came out. I mean, almost a decade after by the time this movie got made because of how long it took to make this movie. Yeah. But yeah, it came out in 1981. It was called Who Censored Roger Rabbit? I like that they changed it. Yeah. It makes more sense. <laughs> the, the, the plot of the movie. And Don't censor me now. Throughout this, I can, I can give you some comparisons to the novel, but it's almost, I would say it's 80% a different story. The movie that it turned out being, mm. it's, the novel is very, very different. Probably the biggest difference, I would say, is all the tunes in the novel are newspaper cartoon tunes, not animated like uh, movie and TV show cartoons like they are in this. Got it. So it's all like in that world, 
the tunes pose for photographs that photographers take and then those become the Sunday papers. <laughs> and probably the biggest difference is none of the tunes can talk in that in the book. They can only speak in word bubbles. <laughs> and so anytime they talk, word bubbles would come up. And one of the funny things I learned about it is when they're done talking, their word bubbles actually fall to the ground and just like become trash. Oh. And then so the book is a lot more serious in terms of the tone it takes. And not that this is, doesn't have a dark tone, but it's not a Disney property, obviously. So they go full hog on, on just like making it an adult story in that one. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this carries over into the book too, but the tunes are kind of like an allegory for black people and racism and stuff like that. That was one of my notes. Yeah. So, uh, so, you know, just by having things like the humans hate the tunes because there's fucking word bubbles all over the floor. And they're like, these goddamn fucking tunes all over the place. We got to clean, you know, uh-huh. constantly clean up after them because they talk. But yeah, this isn't going to be a big compare and contrast. But yeah, the, the book and the story have are very different. They pretty much have like three similar characters and that's it. It's like Eddie, Roger, and Jessica are kind of, mm-hmm. and Baby Herman. But aside from that, there's no IP like there's no there's there's no other characters who wow. aren't original in the story that was all made for the movie so and then the plot is completely separate like every all the entire plot is made up for the movie on its own so it's it's very loosely based like i said up top this was directed by robert zemeckis uh, i'm not gonna go too deep into him because if you're a fan of the show that means you probably should have listened to my last episode which was flight <laughs> uh, and i gave tons of zemeckis background on that but basically a short version of it I was saying is this is a guy who loves pushing the technological envelope. In my opinion, one of the least laziest filmmakers of all time. <laughs> he is always like trying to do some shit that no one's ever done before. Jesus, take a nap. And he's yeah, he's so yeah. fucking good. Did this movie win any awards? Yeah. So it was nominated for six Oscars and took home three of them. Damn. So it was nominated for best sound, best like art direction slash set design. Best Cinematography, and those, it actually didn't, didn't win any of those, but the ones it won was Best Visual Effects, mm-hmm. Best Sound Editing, and Best Editing in general. Yeah, absolutely. And then what I also thought was really cool was, while this is a Robert Zemeckis movie, it kind of does have two directors because Robert Zemeckis never directed animation before, so you have to get an animation director to do all the animation. Mm-hmm. And that was a guy named Richard Williams, and he, they actually gave him a special achievement award for his directing of the animation in this Aww. movie because there's not really a... There's not a category for someone like him. Yeah. And because, you know, he doesn't get the, the luxury of having his name on the movie. Like, when the, when the credits roll, it doesn't say, it says a Robert Zemeckis film. You know what uh, I mean? So, I, I think it's pretty cool that they... could have changed that. Yeah, I guess, but <laughs> I don't know. It's it, mud- Zemeckis... it, it muddies the waters because they're, you know, then it's like, especially going forward nowadays, we have so many animation hybrids. You know, that would mean every fucking disney movie where the smurfs come to life would have to have two directors you know what i mean like it would just be so complicated all right i guess hey the fact that they even he got his own like zemeckis didn't even get nominated this guy got his own special award they created just for him i think that's pretty awesome i'd rather have that i'd be like i did such a good job they had to fucking invent an award for me all right that's way cooler than being (laughs) co-director with robert zemeckis (laughs) yo his last name is awesome zemeckis zemeckis yeah, this movie uh, it rounded out a budget of about fifty point six million and took in three hundred twenty nine point eight million. Oh, thank God! Um, oh my God, this this movie, <laughs> this movie changed the game literally for everything. What uh, was this rated? PG. Oh my God! Um, <laughs> if it was the eighties, yeah, yeah. Honestly, I think if it came out three years later, it, it would have been forced to do PG thirteen. Yeah, just, absolutely. PG thirteen was so new at the time that we were just like, eh, like Jaws is rated PG. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like. We got away with some PG shit. Back in my day. Indiana Jones is PG. Like, there's so much stuff where you're just like, dude, that guy's eating a human heart. And you're <laughs> telling me this is PG? Uh... <laughs> yeah. 
How did we get so soft? No, I'm just <laughs> I think it makes sense. I think PG thirteen is stupid. I think G, G and PG are so similar at this point that like oh, there's well, no reason. Yeah, to have I don't both think PG thirteen is stupid. I think what you just said is stupid. No, I think G P- and PG. I think back when it was G, PG, and R, it's all we needed. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. We that's... didn't need a fourth one that then muddied the first two. I you agree. Know what I, mean? I agree. Like... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this movie pushes the envelope of what PG is for mm-hmm. sure. And I want to say right off the top, guys, this is going to be a big one for me. This is, spoiler alert, one of my top ten favorite movies of all time. I literally think it's goddamn perfect, and I have tons to talk about. Wow. But right off the bat, uh, do you want to try to guess uh, critic-wise, like what this has on Rotten Tomatoes? Well, I actually think the critic score might be higher than the audience score on this one. Okay. 82% critics, 79% audience. Wow. So you were right about the first part. Oh. But you're way off. Oh, dear. Audience is 84%. Damn. Critics, 97. Whoa, 97? Yeah. Digging up a, ho- a bad review for this movie is pretty hard. Yeah. Um, I don't know yeah. why I was being... I... Yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I would Most movies, I'm like, it's subjective. If you don't like it, it's on you. Man, I could. I would debate if someone has to tell me that this movie was This is your good. sister act, too. <laughs> 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 yes. <Yay! laughs> this is my sister act too. <laughs> same level of yes. same level of commitment from the filmmakers. <laughs> but yeah, I mean I just I I'll tell you right now. If you think this is bad, you're wrong. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Damn. Um, it's fucking insane this movie. So yeah, where to even begin? Before I go on my background, <laughs> I just want to talk a little like about just the journey of it. So like I said, book came out eighty one, uh Disney bought the rights immediately, like right as soon as the book came out. And then tried to immediately tried to put this movie into production. They hired the two writers to write a draft for it. Robert Zemeckis actually expressed interest really early on, but in the early '80s, he was not known for anything. He had two movies, uh, Used Cars, and one other one I can't remember. They were both flops. He was kind of <laughs> sorry. Known. He had two movies, some used cars. Oh, all he had to his name. <laughs> I was like, wait, hold on. Yeah, no, movie was called Used Cars. Okay. <laughs> So he was kind of like just known as like a nobody, didn't really, his movies didn't make money. So Disney was like, we're not giving this guy right. jack shit. <laughs> then a couple of years went by, a couple of failed attempts. They tried to get some other, some animators involved. It just never really worked. They couldn't really just figure out how they wanted to do it exactly. Uh-huh. Then a couple of years went by and then that's when Zemeckis put out Back to the Future. You know, some of his big, bigger movies Ooh. came out and then all of a sudden they were like, oh shit, this guy is, this guy's hot, hot money. This guy got a makeover um, movie wise. Yeah. <laughs> And then the the big reason it actually that pushed this movie forward was Disney hired uh, Steven Spielberg to produce it with mm. his production company Amblin, which was pretty new at the time. And Spielberg, he eventually in the '90s would spearhead tons of animation. Like fucking Spielberg's really kind of becomes one of Disney's biggest competitors in time. But <laughs> first, he gets hired by Disney to make this movie. So you know Spielberg's great friends with Zemeckis. They they eventually get Zemeckis on board based on this track record, and everything's kind of going good. And yeah, I mean, even after those guys were on board, it was still an, a fight to get this movie made. Disney did not want to put a lot of money into it. Like, they kind of, at first, they, they, they got the budget ex- expected to be about $50 million. Disney was like, absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, Disney in the 80s, there was, their animation was dead. Nobody gave a fuck about Disney animation. This is right before. This movie kicked off the renaissance that we know of. Whoa. So this Nobody mo- cared about the mouse? This movie's success is what uh, like gave them the confidence to greenlight movies like The Little Mermaid, Lion King. If, if you think about it, you know, we had the Golden Age, Fantasia, mm-hmm. you know, Cinderella, Alice in Wonderland. And that, that, that'll end in the 50s. I can't think of a Disney movie that was a hit that was animated from the 60s, 70s, 80s, like nothing. 
they tried, but nothing stuck. And they were pretty much, all their animation departments were kind of dead. They were just like, we're not going to do these anymore. We're just going to make live action movies. While they were making this in the 80s is when Michael Eisner got hired, who is now, this, he's still the CEO of Disney, but he was like brand new. Mm-hmm. And he just grew up loving the golden age of animation. And he wanted to like, he saw this as an, like, he's like, oh my God, we can get back into what we are. We're Disney. Like we make Mickey Mouse. We This is what we do. So he, it was kind of his belief that this could be really good. Plus, Steven Spielberg, but in the mid-80s, he was arguably bigger than he's ever been. So they were just like, we can't not work with Steven Spielberg. Like, mm-hmm. we have to do anything we can. And so it was just a lot of, like, back and forths, really, just, like, fighting over, can it be made? And then also how the technology of, of melding these animated characters in real world, it had been done tons of times in movies before this. It's not the first time, but, like, never to this scope. Mm-hmm. It's always been a sequence like a movie will take a break like Mary Poppins like you know Dick Van Dyke dances with penguins in that movie right but it's not the whole movie it's not like the penguins are hanging out with them all the time so it, it had never been done to this degree of like a whole movie animation hybrid and I'll kind of talk about what I learned from the animators but you know when you would do animation in real life hybrids you had a lot of rules you had to follow because it was very hard to make it look good mm-hmm. and the animation team and Robert Zemeckis immediately said we have to break every single rule every time we can if we're going to make this memorable like we have to challenge ourselves and the rules are there to make it easy for you you know what i mean you Got don't it. you know the kind of quote unquote rules that they would have that Richard Williams the animation director and Zemeckis said they wanted to break every chance was that you never, the rules always do not move the camera if you're going to put animation in it. Oh. Keep the camera planted so that right. way it's a lot easier to just paint everything in afterwards. Yeah. So in this movie, they were like, we have to have that fucking camera moving constantly so it feels real, like a real movie. The second rule was to not pay too much attention to lighting and shadows. Just kind of like, just, just let not it go. Not pay attention. Yeah, because you have to, you're making it easier for yourself. Like, it's, if this was like, it was the 50s, they're making movies, they're like, they're, they're, listen, we, we can't make this look realistic, so let's... Let's keep the camera planted so nobody asks questions of why there's no shadows and stuff like that. Okay. So to steer clear of any like mo- steer clear of any kind of movement that would try to create things like shadows because then you have to figure out how those would look. Oh, interesting. Okay, and then, got, it, got it. Yeah, and then the other rule was that really cartoons almost never interacted with the real world in these other examples. Mm-hmm. It was always people interacted with the cartoons, but not vice versa. So in this one, they were like, we need the cartoons constantly touching and bumping the environment, picking stuff up. So yeah, basically, they looked at all the established ways of doing this and just said let's buck all those trends and try and do something completely different so i thought that was fucking awesome yeah i was not expecting this level of interaction between the animation and the humans and especially when an object was involved like if an animated character picked up a handkerchief and put it on somebody's uh, human's face yep. like i wasn't expecting that kind of stuff oh that yeah was- that was pretty cool. I the, can't imagine. I This is one where I want to watch the behind the scenes and how yeah, did this get made, you I, know? I will highly recommend. I know the the world of physical media and special features. Most people don't give a shit anymore. It's all kind of dead. This movie's on Disney+. Plus. You can watch it there. But uh, the 25th anniversary Blu-ray is fucking fantastic. Like, I love that we watched it on Blu-ray. Hell yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. we do have Disney+. Plus. Who gives a shit? <laughs> It looks better on, on Blu-ray anyway. So I would recommend this Blu-ray to anybody who's even remotely interested in how this movie got created. Because I got I to watch a three-hour documentary on this shit. Like, it's <laughs> so good. I love that we're doing two Disney movies in a row. Yeah. Look at us. Right? <laughs> even though it's a Disney movie and a lot of the characters are Disney characters, the other thing that makes this different than anything else was the fact that they were able to strike a deal with Warner Brothers. That's where I was like, how did this get made? To borrow their characters. <laughs> 
Yeah, and that was actually Spielberg's idea, and he was the one who like took it upon himself to reach out to these other companies to get their characters, mm-hmm. and just using his like Steven Spielberg clout, basically. Because I'm sure if, if Disney themselves went up to them, they'd be like, eh, this is fishy, we don't want to <laughs> do this. And it wasn't just Warner Brothers they reached out to, they reached out to fucking every animation company they could think of, and there are a good amount of characters they actually couldn't get the rights to. But they got the big one, so that's important. But you know, they were they were hoping to get Popeye in here and Tom and Jerry. Oh, and, Popeye! Oh, and, and Casper. Oh, they didn't get Tom and Jerry. Nah. Oh. Uh, and and Casper as well. And Wait, they were Casper just... was around in the eighties. Casper was in the fifties. Oh my god, I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember that uh, version with the uh, Christina what's... Ricci. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that was like when we turn. It's like how the Tom and Jerry movie just came out on HBO Max. Right. It's like they just took something that was four fifty years old and turned wow, it into. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a noob. Been, <laughs> Casper's been around forever. So yeah, you know, they got that deal struck, which is insane. Still to this day, Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny have never been on, on screen at the same time under any circumstances. Like, you know, this is the only time it's ever happened just because wow. of how big those two characters are. And what's funny is, I was going to wait till we get to it, but it's just uh, it's funny to say it now. Part of the deal that Warner Brothers like had to, you know, like it was it was a lot of negotiation. Like they weren't just going to give up their characters Absolutely. like that. And so what's funny is for their big characters, they had a lot of special rules. And they were like, Mickey Mouse could not get one second of screen time more than Bugs Bunny. <laughs> which is why they entered the screen at the same time and leave the screen at the same time and <laughs> oh have the same God. number of lines. So they were like, we're not, we don't want anyone to think that Bugs Bunny is second fiddle to, to Mickey Mouse under no circumstances. Oh, please. Eh, I don't know. No, I get it, but it's just like, oh, come on. Yo, Disney's a fucking monster, bro. <laughs> like, if you don't fight back against Disney, they're going to eat the world up. Like, they're, they're already eating it up the right now. The same amount of, I mean, I, I get it. The same amount of screen time. They're the two I'm, most iconic American cartoon characters in history. There's nobody bigger than Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny. But nobody's going to watch this and be like, ooh, Mickey had more lines than this. I eh, think he's the better eh, character. You don't no. <laughs> and then same thing goes if they were going to have Daffy Duck and Donald Duck in it. Yeah. Uh, similar. They had to be in the same scene and neither was allowed to get like the better of the other one. So that scene had to end in like a draw. Like it couldn't be like Daffy Duck outsmarted Donald or vice versa. They right. were both very protective over over what's what's going on there. So I just think it's really fucking interesting <laughs> where they were just like, yeah, you can have them, but back up yeah but i think having it not be only disney characters makes this movie just feel so much more unique like it just it made to me especially as a kid like the world so much more exciting because you don't know who could be around any corner exactly if it was just disney stuff it'd eventually be like all right because if it was just disney i bet like mickey would have had a bigger role like you know what i mean like i like that they were all just on the side for fun but this movie focused on the original characters the whole time yeah it's really fun because you know we get cameos in movies all the time with like real people like oh snap it's the rock you know as himself but seeing that with animated characters from different companies that's even cooler and even like you know nowadays it's less exciting because we have stuff like the lego movie where like you know anybody in warner brothers is up for grabs so superman Mm -hmm. could come around the corner and like it's great it's fun and like but like in 88 this shit was uh, like oh it was so nuts like i can only imagine and not only the angle of this movie playing huge respects to animation the golden age of animation and like really doing their best to make it feel like something that could have come out of that era like animation wise i just think this movie treats everything it tries to do with utmost respect to the point where honestly i think this movie if you changed every tune to a real person 
it 100% works as a <laughs> film noir. Mm-hmm. I, I usually find in movies like this, especially if they're trying to do an homage to something, they tend to dumb it down for kids. And like, I've watched tons of film noir and this plot just fits in perfectly with all those things. <laughs> like to the, you know, down to the point where like they don't treat anything with kid gloves. Like, you know, like they really, everything in this movie kind of feels a little bit dangerous. And that's why film noirs are so fun because it's, especially back when they came out because of the production code, you couldn't really make crazy movies. So mm-hmm. film noir were the ones where the bad guys got to shine and you see things like murder and sex and double crossing. And, and I just love that this movie like, not only loves the golden age of animation, but loves the golden age of film noirs. And like, it just, it's just like the ultimate love letter to both. And I think it works so fucking good. So much detail put into this. Oh, just like, I don't know. It just, I don't know how they did it. I really don't. <laughs> but anyway, I don't want to go too deep and, and nerd out everyone right off the top. So Masha, what did you know up until this point about Who Framed Roger Rabbit before we watched it? Well, I will say the title has definitely reached me somehow. Like that. Somehow. Who... <laughs> I don't know. One well, of the biggest animated No, but I'm saying like I can, the title sounds so familiar, but if you showed me the art for it or the poster, I don't recall, like I can't recall what it looks like. So if you saw a picture of Roger Rabbit, you wouldn't have gone, that was Roger Rabbit? No. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, but Who Framed Roger Rabbit, for some reason, the title of that movie. It is a great title. Yeah. It makes you want to go like, what is that? Exactly. But it's also, it just sounds like I've heard it before. I can't name where, but I know that you've been mentioning it for as long as I can remember (laughs) (laughs) being like, you know, I need to show you who framed Roger Rabbit. Great film. Great film. That's my Andy. So uh, I knew I was going to watch it eventually. And I knew it was half animation, half uh, Live live action. So... I, I really didn't really have much to think about. For some reason, I didn't even think about what studio produced this movie. So it was a pleasant surprise where I saw, you know, characters from different studios coming together. So that's why it really struck me by surprise. Like, I had no idea. So even without knowing it was a Disney movie, did you know that they were going to have, like, IP in this? Like, did you know, like, Porky Pig might be in it or or Mickey Mouse? Like, did you have any... No, I thought it was just half animation, So you just thought it was all original characters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had no idea. I was like, Roger Rabbit, all right. Like, honestly, I even thought it was just going to be one animated character. Uh... <laughs> so I didn't even think it was going to be this whole world where tunes and people are living together. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that it was going to be based in Hollywood. I didn't know that they were going to poke as much fun at themselves as they did. Like, it was just a pleasant surprise yeah i can kind of tell after the after the opening scene when like the the veil gets lifted on what kind of movie it is like you, you were like getting excited <laughs> yeah like, i heard you just going like, Ooh, oh oh <laughs> like as you were taking the notes and i was like nice yeah so i'm excited to talk more about you know what surprised me and stuff i don't want to get ahead of ourselves but i didn't know much about it at all nice awesome. how about you so similar to a lot of movies i actually didn't watch this when i was too too young and i've Kind of like how I was saying with in our Karate Kid episode, how I loved the three ninjas and thought it was the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> and then kind of graduated to the Karate Kid and realized that one was kind of like not that good. And the other one was actually really good. Wait, let me guess. It was Space Jam? Of course. Of course. <laughs> Anybody who... I was born in 1990. I was six when Space Jam yeah. came out. Like, if you were that age, not even just like the, that movie, but like Michael Jordan. Like, yeah. And you're talking to a dude who does not watch sports at all. And I had two bulls hats i had a bulls <laughs> shirt like like you loved the bulls even if i never even been to chicago you know what i mean yeah. I, was, I lived in new york and i was just like you couldn't jordan was the king like you know what i mean 
So yeah, of course, Space Jam came out, and it was one of my favorite movies I had ever seen. I loved cartoons. I loved Michael Jordan. Yep. It was fun. It was funny. Blah blah blah, like this and that. So I actually, my cousin, my cousin was a few years older than me, and he had a Who Framed Roger Rabbit board game. I remember. So we used to <laughs> we used to play that a lot. I don't remember if it was good or not at all. It probably wasn't. That was actually I remember my first time like learning that that was oh, like a movie. And then anytime I like thought about watching it or renting it or maybe even saw it on TV, like I remember just dismissing it of just like it just seemed more boring than Space Jam. Mm-hmm. I was like, Space Jam is so colorful, so wild. Like it's got, it's got Michael Jordan. Like yeah. at the time, I'm like, how could you have a better actor in a movie than Michael Jordan? Spoiler <laughs> alert: If you rewatch Space Jam, he was not a good actor. I really want to rewatch it. Bugs Bunny. Eh, you were expecting maybe the Easter Bunny? You're a cartoon. You're not real. Now let's see what we got inside here. You lay who they are. All right, he's okay. What's going on here? I kind of want to do a back to back with this new one coming out as well. <laughs> yeah, I think we maybe we will for the show. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's just like yeah, whatever, Roger Rabbit. And then as I got a little bit older, I was probably like twelve, thirteen, and I kept. <laughs> You know, you would read about like how Who Framed Roger Rabbit was such a like a legacy yeah. movie and so important to the industry, and then I probably watched it. <laughs> Sorry, twelve year old being like, this movie is very important to the industry. <laughs> oh, Andy. So I finally watched it, and then it like changed my goddamn. I was just like, like I thought it was cool the way Michael Jordan interacted with Bugs Bunny and stuff, but like, oh, if you try to watch. The effects they did in that movie compared to this, it is laughable. It's not I, bad, yeah. but like the the artistry of this of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Michael Jordan looks like he's looking and <laughs> talking to nobody. Ooh. Like it's just it's just like it's not the same. I will say I haven't watched it since I was a kid, but I will also argue probably that the characters didn't have as much depth. Like the animated characters didn't have as much depth as they did in this movie. Yeah, what do you mean by depth? They felt like characters who had lives. Yes. Whereas in Space Jam, there's they were no just logic there. to Space Jam at all. <laughs> like at all. Like not that you need logic as a kids movie, but they suck Michael Jordan underground because that's where the Looney Tunes live. Right. And then in their underground world, they have aliens who live in space and fly to their planet. And I was like, how is there space if they're underground? See, I didn't even remember all that. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's very silly. But again, it's it's a cash grab movie. It's mm-hmm. like you know, it's based on a commercial. Spike Lee directed these commercials where Bugs Bunny and Michael Jordan played one on one, and then the studio said, "Let's turn that into a movie." It's oh not boy. it's not quite as rich as as the people <laughs> who are making this movie. So I know I'm gonna get a bunch of bullshit from people our age who think Space Jam's the fucking fire. I get it as fun, but just there's no way. Damn. Watch them back to back, and then come back and tell me that it's better than Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and, and then I'll be like, "Yeah, stop listening to the show." Yeah, because that's you're crazy. a challenge. You can still have a great time with Space Jam. It's like funny and shit, but it's just it's uh, not the same. Songs again, and probably one of the biggest things, like, because this Roger Rabbit really paints a world where tunes and humans live together, mm-hmm. and in Space Jam, outside of one or two sequences, it's mostly just. Michael Jordan in the Toon world. Right. It's just like him surrounded by cartoons as opposed to cartoons in the real world, which is a lot harder to do and making that feel believable. Yeah. Weren't people in the real world surprised to see Toons in Space Jam? Sometimes and some when the plot was convenient and sometimes <laughs> people didn't care. Yeah. This is way more interesting. We're in like, how do they live together? Yeah. And like, this is great where it's like, you know, in, in this movie, there's, there's Toontown where the Toons are actually from, but then... You know, we don't see the history of it, but clearly 
they come to the real world to work because they work to be in our cartoons. So right. like, you know, it, it's kind of like unless you're working, you live in Toontown. So it just makes more sense. Mm -hmm. And in Space Jam, it's just it's just nonsense. <laughs> like it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Damn. So you were studying film and realized that <laughs> <I'm> studying <laughs> film. at 12 years old. <laughs> Yeah. And realized Roger Rabbit was way more um, uh, just impressive. Yeah, like just, just like I could tell there was so much work put into every moment, and like still to this day, I mean, to me, in terms of special effects, this is the most awe-inspiring movie I've ever seen. Avatar's amazing, which James Cameron did with that movie is remarkable. But still, the first time I watched it, doesn't make my jaw drop the way I, it happens every time I watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Mm -hmm. Like, now that I've seen this 30, 40 times, I always watch it just staring at weird little shit, and I'd be <laughs> like, yo, Robert, Roger bumped into that stack of papers, and then it moved on its own. Like, it's just, I don't know. The fact that there's not a, there's not one single second of anything done on a computer in this movie, it's all hand-animated to a T, to the point where they did that math, and there was 83,000 individual drawings done just to get oh, this movie to Lord. life so animation man oh so good um and i will say one of the things that actually i think really made this movie work was disney not having a ton of faith in this movie so <laughs> part of what they the deal they cut with like spielberg was spielberg got most of the creative control and they they just got to keep the merchandising rights because they were like, oh, we'll make cartoons and toys and all that. Mm. And so Spielberg was like, all right, I'll take a cut of the box office, but I also want the majority creative control. And then he transferred that to Zemeckis and gave Zemeckis final cut approval wow. to do whatever he wanted. So if you notice when the movie started, it didn't say Disney. It yeah. said Touchstone Pictures because Disney was very unhappy with how adult this movie was <laughs> and fought very hard for him to take the sex out, the drinking, the curses, the violence. Like, really, they were like, no, we're Disney, man. We can't be doing this. And then Zemeckis was like, creative control. I don't yeah. know what to tell you. I'm not changing it. Like, I'm making a noir film. Noirs are sexy. Noirs mm -hmm. are scary. Noirs are dangerous. That's what we're doing. So they decided to release it under Touchstone Pictures, which is one of their banner companies, because they were like, we can't say this is a Walt Disney picture. Wow. Like, it's too it's too sexy. The people will be furious. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and it is, too. Like, you know, yeah. literally in the first half hour, you're hearing son of a bitch. What the hell's going on? You know, like uh, and stuff. I was like, oh, I've never heard someone say son of a bitch in a Disney movie. You yeah. know, like, still to this day, like The Incredibles was the first Pixar movie to be rated PG. Because their rule where they had to all be G-rated, but because they had guns in that movie, they had to go up to PG, and it mm -hmm. was like a big controversy. Like, can we sell this as Disney with PG because people shoot guns? Oh and then God. compare that to this, where like you literally see like bullet holes go into human beings. Like, yeah. Like let like let alone like someone shooting a gun and missing. Like there was some squib action going yeah, on. Yeah, I movie. was still some. Oh, I getting love ahead. It. But... And I think that helped me, especially you know I keep talking about like. Emperor's New Groove came out around the time when I was 12, but I felt like too, I felt like I was too old, even though it's silly because I was 12. Right. I just felt like silly watching a kid's movie like that. So all the little, little dangerous bits of this made it like exciting to watch. It's so funny though, because you were talking in Emperor's New Groove about how you were upset with the movie at the beginning because it wasn't depicting what a Disney film was. Yeah. So were you just not upset with this because it was under the Touchstone Pictures? Because I feel like it's essentially the same scenario. Yeah, but I also said that that was my modern 31-year-old brain watching Emperor's New Groove. Okay. It wasn't when I was 12 Got when it. I said, oh, because I didn't even see it when I was 12. So yeah. that was me nowadays putting I what see. I know Disney is. Okay, okay. So I don't know if I had that 
full perception yet. You know what I mean? All right, just checking. I have so much info about basically how they made this movie, yeah. but I think I'd rather just wait for questions from you instead of just front-loading everything. Mm-hmm. So do you want to just dive in on this guy? Let's do it. What was your perception when the movie opened up with this cartoon, the Baby <laughs> Herman and uh, Roger Rabbit cartoon? Honestly, I thought there was going to be some moment where there was a black hole that had this rabbit enter the human world like Ah. i didn't know that it was going they were actually taping a movie in quotes (laughs) but yeah even before you know that i think this this beginning is perfect to really paint a picture of the intentions of these filmmakers Mm -hmm. i think you could take this cartoon and stack it up with the greats of the 40s and 50s and 60s like it just it fits right in the tone and Zemeckis, not just in the hybrid of the characters, if he was saying his whole envision of this was to take the best of all the worlds of animation into one. And the big three influences for him were he wanted it to have the look and feel of Disney, which he felt had the most beautiful animation in, in the world. Like mm-hmm. he wanted it, he wanted it to stand toe to toe with, you know, Fantasia and, and like that true, like artistic kind of drawing. He thought Warner Brothers had the best character designs so in all, like the looney tunes the way they look the way they acted he thought it was he wanted those kind of designs of characters and then tex avery who was an animator he's the guy who kind of like he worked for warner brothers but he wasn't like he was kind of his own thing okay. but he directed most of the original looney tunes he kind of like created the comedy of warner brothers because they hired him because they knew they couldn't compete with disney and disney was always kind of family friendly and and like for kids and so they wanted warner brothers to be family entertainment with comedy that anyone could laugh at you know that's where a lot of the slapstick getting hit with stuff really that 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 great comic timing that you see in the warner brothers cartoons Mm -hmm. that's all tex avery so he basically wanted the characters of warner brothers the look of disney and then the comedy of tex avery all wrapped into (laughs) one and if you watch this opening cartoon with that lens it's all right there that whole sequence looks amazing it's legitimately funny, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It's so smooth, too. So smooth. <laughs> just beautiful. And then, like, even there's some, like, silly little-ass jokes in there, like, I, that I, I don't even catch every time. I caught this time for the first time, the, when he, that stove that he gets cooked in, the company name on the stove is Hotter and L, which sounds like hotter than hell. Oh. So, you know, just, like, little things like that. Like, just nice. because, you know, th- like, Tex Avery always wanted to make his cartoons so that the adults wouldn't go to sleep while their kids are watching right. it. They wanted them to also laugh at Tom and Jerry, you know? So, yeah. Um, and it's true because, you know, I can watch classic Looney... I would watch classic Looney Tunes over classic Disney <laughs> any day of the week. My first laugh in this movie, though, honestly, was the betrayal of the cute baby being a grown Baby Herman, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's so funny where, yeah, he's got, like, a 50-year-old, like, oh voice and he smokes cigars. And, <laughs> but, and even right up there, though, like... It shows you the care they were going to go in this movie because he doesn't have an animated cigar. That baby's always holding a real cigar. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's right off the bat. You're just like, how the fuck are they doing that? Yeah. Like, how, like, like how, is, how are they having the cigar float around and then, and then have an animated baby over it? How do they do that? Very advanced animatronics that they kind of invented for this movie. Oh. So, literally, for that baby, they invented, like, a little claw hand that would hold the cigar and then another guy would be off screen and he'd be wearing a, a glove over his hand and then wherever he moved his hand the animatronic would follow it wow and so yeah he would just he would do the movements himself off camera the, the cigar would move and then they would draw over the robot so you wouldn't see the robot and then all that would leave was the the floating cigar that is because it i'll be honest i kept trying to find flaws as i was watching like the no flaws. The- <laughs> 
you know, like eye lines, seeing like how realistic it looked for these characters to be holding human objects. Yeah. Like, wow. And it just goes to show like that extra step they always took. Cause even like you just like with the eye lines, the way, one of the ways they perfected it and it's as simple as possible is they created life-size dolls for every animated character in the movie. So mm-hmm. there was a, a, li- a rabbit, a Roger rabbit doll, a weasel doll. And before they shot anything, they did a full run through and shot every single scene with the dolls. So Bob Hoskins would literally hold up a doll and then they would find the right eye line and be like, this is where you have to hold him. <laughs> so that way you'll be looking in Roger's face and he would do it enough times where he memorized it and right. shoot it. They'd watch it over and over again. Then they'd go back and then reshoot the whole scene without it. And then compare the two and be like, is he looking in the same spot? Because that's where Roger's going to have to be. Wow. And like, you know, I don't think they did that in Space Jam. <laughs> 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 like, yeah, so. they, they didn't have Michael for that much time. Yeah, exactly. I think there was like a thing on Space Jam where it was like in his contract where he had a, a scheduled time every day where he could take a break to play basketball <laughs> because he didn't want to like get Lose. like rusty. Yeah. You know, like, like, so he was like, they literally, that just shows you the level of commitment on the film versus the commitment to the star. They, right. were, they had to commit him. So they were like, all right, we'll just make it eight hour days. And then so he can play basketball for two hours instead of a 10 hour day. <laughs> And, you know, so it's, yeah. it's just different. So who voiced Roger? Charles Fleischer. Wow, what a voice. Yeah, he's fantastic. And is Roger a, an actual character or is he original to this film? Original. Well, original to the book, but yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Cool. And even him, they, they kind of invented his look with a mix of of the different styles. So, like, obviously he's a rabbit because of Bugs Bunny, but his clothes and the fact that he wore gloves, like with Disney characters always wore gloves. Uh. So they wanted to make him like a mix, kind of like to, to represent what this movie was, like wow. a mix of all animation types. But yeah, Charles Fleischer, he, he took it so seriously. He was on set every single day to do the voice of Roger Rabbit off camera just to help Bob Hoskins. So oh. he would have someone to play off of. And for his own weird choice, he was also dressed as Roger Rabbit on set every <laughs> single day off camera. There's tons of footage on the DVD. It's hilarious. Oh, I gotta see that. Everyone always talks to him like, this guy's crazy. <laughs> and there was even a funny story where like, you know, when they would break for lunch, like he wouldn't get out of his costume and like they'd go to like the commissary to eat and then there'd be other filmmakers that were working on other movies from the lot and like they would literally hear people looking over and be like, do you see this weird ass rabbit movie? Like they have the worst costumes of all time. Like they're gonna fuck this up. Like, because he just had a shitty like, it was Roger Rabbit, but it wasn't that good of a costume because it was never going to be on camera. So they were just like, "That's he's the rabbit." Oh, okay, <laughs> and like nobody, uh, nobody had high hopes for this. Yeah, had high hopes. <laughs> Charles Fleischer has been in a lot of things, but do you remember when I showed? Do you remember Zodiac? Yeah. Do you remember the creepy ass scene where Jake Gyllenhaal goes to that guy who writes, who draws movie posters? And he thinks he's the Zodiac killer, and he yes. brings him into the basement. That's him. That's Charles Fleischer. Whoa. He's such a, a small little guy, and like, I was just like, "Yeah, this guy's fantastic." Oh man, I kind of want to watch that clip to hear his voice. Yeah, as uh, a normal, n- normal guy. Are you sure there's nobody else in the house? Would you like to go upstairs and check? No. Thank you. Thanks for everything. You're welcome. The amount of energy he had to put into Roger's voice constantly. Yeah. I don't know how he did that every day. Mad respect. Yeah, Charles Fleisch is fucking great. 
But yeah, so after this cartoon ends, we we cut out and then we see that we're on the set of a Hollywood movie. It tells us it's the 1940s, which is the golden age of animation. I also like that, like, yes, this movie is a little hard edge where, you know, they curse, they smoke, they they drink uh, stuff that you normally wouldn't see in a Disney movie. And, you know, sometimes movies try to do that just to get a little like so they could seem cool, like, oh, we're the cool movie with the with the bad cuss words and all that. But I, I, I think it truly serves a purpose story-wise in this movie because they're kind of commenting on the world of Hollywood. And, like, you know, anytime you hear old stories of Hollywood, it's usually a pretty gross town. You know, there's, there's, mis- there's sexism. There's, there's all this kind of, like, fucked up shit behind. So I, I kind of feel like that's almost like a commentary on that and less just, like, let's make it cool to be cool, you know? Right, so, right. you know, you see baby Herman's this little baby who, who <laughs> plays this cute thing on TV. And then afterwards, he's, like, saying like sexist shit to the secretary and like ah toots get out of my way he's looking up girls skirts and like yes it's funny and it's all for comedy but it's also me just that it seems like they're commenting on the world of hollywood and how it's not as like nice and pretty yeah you know you watch wizard of oz and you're like oh what a fun movie and then you find out that judy garland had like the worst time ever in her life and right. she was like abused as a 14 year old and you're like oh this sucks absolutely you know so i feel like it, it took that shine away from hollywood a little yeah. bit Obviously, this movie isn't really for kids, but I do love the imagination that really comes from the book of just how this movie could be made if these animated characters were real. You know, like I love that concept Uh of they're actually shooting live action with these characters. Mm -hmm. It's so cool. But I also like little like I think this movie is so perfect at not having their jokes only be jokes but almost everything is either a setup for later or is important to the plot Mm -hmm. and you know it's funny you know we find out that you know you can't really kill a tune you could drop as much stuff as you want on their head and this and that but then and you think oh that's a funny joke because tunes always get hurt and then that's why they're okay but then like a big part of this movie is that someone did find a way to kill tunes and like i just love how everything you know up to you know the, the disappearing ink gag like all this stuff that you just think is like oh that's a little funny little joke it's the key of a good script that all of this is not only just building a world but actually like pays off later yeah and i i just love that like it's anyone could just make a joke for the sake of making a joke Mm -hmm. but i I just thought that was but on the topic of pain tolerance obviously humans can't tolerate as much pain as a tune can not even close so yes they can be dangerous to a point where their actions can affect humans and obviously that affects our main character right yeah where we meet eddie valiant mm-hmm. by, played by bob hoskins perfect in the goddamn role like <laughs> like i feel like this guy is just plopped out of a, a real noir film um, yeah like he's just even his backstory while it does play as a joke the first time it's said like i feel it gives him a shitload of heart and like it actually works as like a motivating factor for him mm-hmm. we find uh you know people find like he's such a grump and, he, and anytime he, someone brings up tunes around him, he talks about how he hates tunes. Yeah. And then later we find out it's because a tune killed his brother by dropping a piano on his head. Yeah. You know, which is funny. But then also, like, the movie doesn't shy away from, like, how serious that is. Mm-hmm. Because when we get to the, the, the murder that kind of gets this movie going, you literally see the outline of Acme with, with where a piano would have killed him. And, like, it's just like, oh, my God, that's, like, brutal. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? So, like, yeah, like, tunes can fucking be homicidal you know <laughs> we learn right away from eddie we we see that he's an alcoholic which also i remember the first time i saw it surprised <laughs> the fuck out of me i was like they're touching alcoholism in a disney movie yeah. like like i feel like if this movie didn't have the final cut of zemeckis they would have made him change it to something where we go like oh it represents alcohol but he's addicted to pixie sticks you know like they would have <laughs> done something to be like oh it's drugs but we're not saying it's drugs 
But like Eddie Valiant just is a fucking booze hound. Just, yeah. Just a hoosh head, man. I love how they even parse in because you don't know right away that you're going to get all these like characters we know and love. Mm-hmm. And especially with how like not gritty, but like I said, you know, there's baby Herman looking up girl skirts and stuff. So you're like, oh, this is a pretty adult stuff. But then like Dumbo shows up and he's the first character who's like a real cat. And you're like, holy shit, Dumbo. Like, yeah. like what kind of movie is this? <laughs> and then just Eddie walking through the the back lot. Like, I just think that's, and again, I already said that at the beginning sets the tone, but this really shows that like they are not gonna take the easy route on any of this no like, way every tune is constantly bumping into something knocking something over and and it's just like holy shit like it's i think it's the best special effects i've ever <laughs> seen like i've literally yeah, ever seen like I'm, great acting i i could watch tony stark fly around all day and it's <laughs> never going to impress me as much as what this movie does like i don't know yeah. what it is it just this must have been so cool to be a part of this film because you honestly have no idea what it's going to look like no afterwards. Uh, yeah. So this must have been a treat as much as it was for us, for them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, And, you know, they, they, they often laughed about when making the movie because they're saying they basically employed a lot of the tactics that Universal used whenever they were making the Invisible Man movies in the 40s and 50s uh-huh. because all those movies involved having stuff move without someone actually touching it. Yes. So everyone always just joked that they were making like an Invisible Man sequel because <laughs> you'd walk into a set and there would just be things on strings bouncing around. They'd be like, oh, don't worry, that's going to be an octopus. Uh, that's going to be a hippo. Like, you know, and you just have to be like, all right, I guess so. <laughs> sure, guy. <Yeah>. Sure. <laughs> and after seeing Eddie kind of. Down, you see, you see that he's down in his luck, has a drinking problem, and then he gets hired by uh, Mr. Maroon from Maroon Cartoons <laughs> <laughs> to take some uh, pictures to spy on uh, Roger's wife to see if she's being uh, unfaithful to him. Right. And it's a very simple, very simple setup for what then balloons into a much bigger mystery, which is kind of a staple of classic film noirs. Yeah, I love the interaction between these two, Mr. Maroon and Mr. Valiant, because. He Mr. asked, Valiant. what's his name? <laughs> Eddie Valiant. Ellie, Eddie. Nobody calls him Mr. Valiant. <laughs> I wrote Mr. Valiant in my notes. Sorry. <laughs> but I love the interaction between them because Mr. Maroon's like, what do you know about show business? And he goes, it's like, no business I know. <laughs> like, there's just so many, like, lines like that. I'm like, wow. Yeah. You guys are really making fun of yourselves <laughs> yeah, here. exactly. <laughs> From a writing standpoint, I know you've never seen this movie, but hopefully our listeners are. This movie is heavily influenced by the movie Chinatown. I did see that. Oh, you did? Yes. Nice. They call that one a neo-noir because it came, it's a noir film, but anything that came out after the initial trend of noirs tend to be called neo-noirs because they're like modern takes mm. on it. So Chinatown's probably the most famous neo-noir of all time. It's it's a huge love letter to the genre, but done in color and, and this and that. So everything down to the plot of this, they basically wrote it almost as if it was a sequel to Chinatown. So Chinatown is a very similar thing where, you know, a private detective gets hired to do a very simple job. He somehow uncovers a bigger mystery and then it unfolds to this giant plot that involves around this dam getting built in L.A. that historically did change L.A. in real life, changed the way L.A. was looked at by the public and and treated as like a bigger part of America. Mm -hmm. And so in that movie, they wrote that into the plot to kind of kind of make it seem more realistic. So they did the same thing on this where... Everything from the red car company getting bought out to freeways getting invented and all this, like that completely is what happened in real life and changed L.A. for the most part. So like early on when when he's riding the bus and the kid goes, what's the matter, mister? Don't you have a car? And he goes, who needs a car in L.A.? We got the best public transportation system in the world. <laughs> that plays as a joke to us because we know everyone in L.A. needs a car because yes. their public transportation sucked. Right. But 
in the 40s, it actually did have the best public transportation in the world. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until these creations of freeways and highways that and, and you know, the billboards and all that stuff. Like, right. that's all very realistic yeah. and, and set in reality. Oof. Which is another way I was like, yeah, this movie takes everything seriously. Yep. Like, it could have been a silly plot where he's like, I want to be the King Toon, you know? Like, But no, it's like he wants to sell advertisers, sell advertising space to advertisers and make money. And like, you know, as a kid, I remember like, this plot made no sense to me when I first watched this movie. Right. I, I would just like let it play out. I'd be like, oh, okay, I know who the bad guy is, so I'll figure it out. But like, <laughs> I didn't know why he was the bad guy. I didn't understand. I didn't even know what the hell the red car was. Like, that was a trolley system yeah. that got bought out. And like, that is true where automobile companies were the ones who bought out public transportation things just to close them so that way they could create a demand for cars Frickin'. because not enough people were buying cars so they were like all right so how about we just shut down their means of getting around and that way they have to get a car <sighs> and like i just yeah I, i'm gonna i'm gonna say this ten thousand times but <laughs> just the respect to everything like respect to la history respect to noir films respect to animation nothing took a sideline for the sake of any joke Everything built this world, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I love it. I love the trolleys. Yeah. And great. the eight-year-old kids with cigarettes. Yep. <laughs> Thanks for the cigarettes. That was so good. <laughs> yeah, again, Disney would not have allowed that. Yeah. Because there's no there's no moral to that part. He doesn't go like, you kids shouldn't be smoking. Like right. he's, he's legitimately being like, oh, thanks, kids. Like, you know. So I know you said you didn't know much about this movie or the characters. Did you not even know, like, Jessica Rabbit? Like, did you know, was that a surprise to you that, that she wasn't a rabbit? And, like, because it's, it's a big joke, but Jessica Rabbit's so oh. everywhere in pop culture now that, like, I feel like I didn't know if that joke was going to land I've definitely you. seen her character before. I didn't know her name was Jessica Rabbit. And okay. that name, that joke just went over my head. I didn't even register it. Like, the fact that she's not a rabbit. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, you think, like, oh, Jessica... Like, you know, he even says, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. oh, um, you know, Mr. Acme never misses a night when Jessica performs. He goes, why? He's got a thing for rabbits? Like, yeah. you know, and then she be, she's this, like, stunning beauty, like a knockout, you know? So right. I, just, I thought that was very funny. So Valiant meets Jessica Rabbit at this speakeasy, but before that, he, has, he needs a camera, and yeah. he goes to his local bar, I guess. Does he own that bar? No, because remember she says, my boss comes in on Friday, and he's going to check the numbers oh, right, because right, he's right. been getting free drinks. That's just where his girlfriend, who clearly they've, they're nowhere near as happy as they ever used to be, works. Right. And so he kind of basically goes there to abuse the free drinks and mm -hmm. not ever really spend any time with her. It's just more setting up how sad his life has become. Yeah. Because remember, he asked for the camera, and she says, I haven't gotten developed since we took that trip to Catalina. And she's like, we got to do that again. And he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Toots, you know, like, he's just, he doesn't say <laughs> that. But, but yeah, so when he goes to the bar to meet Jessica Rabbit to take the pictures, it's not a speakeasy because it's this movie takes place after mm. Prohibition's right, over. Right, right, right. But it's called the Ink and Paint Club. And this is where one of the biggest parallels to Toons being black people are because this is a specific reference to the Cot Club, mm -hmm. which was a famous club in Harlem where black people were not allowed to go to, but only black people served there and only black people performed there. Mm. So the performers were all black. The, the waiters were all black but you were not allowed to be a, a patron if unless you were white so that's why when they go remember because eddie goes i hate tunes and they go don't worry you're gonna go to a club where they don't have like tunes aren't allowed in there right so it's like it's cool like your racism is good wow. and then all that's why all the waiters are the penguins that's why donald and daffy are performing but like tunes aren't allowed to like be in the audience wow so that's just one of the they, they don't they don't really go too hard on the tunes being black people in this movie but like they keep some of that stuff in there all the penguins are holding real trays with real drinks yes. on them. Like, that's insane. And then even the the bartender who's the octopus, like, 
everything he, the, his martini shaker is real his glasses are real so when you watch it without the effects it's literally just all these things dangling on strings <laughs> and just bouncing in place like while he's moving around wow and all the penguin trays were they were puppeteers underneath them just holding these sticks with these trays with glued drinks on them and they would just walk around bouncing them around <laughs> and then the animators had to go in and like painstakingly put the penguins underneath them oh my god and all this so stuff. much respect and then you know to the point where jessica rabbit's kind of introduction and her song like even the fact that if you i don't know if you noticed that she was wearing a sequins dress that each reflected light in its own way Mm. and like that was just another example of like they did not need to do that i i I tried to read about how they made it and i just don't understand animation enough to like to really get how they did it but it's Mm -hmm. just so goddamn complicated like they could have just given her the red dress she was gonna have the whole movie but they were like they wanted to make it seem more grand and there's so many examples of this movie where they just went that extra effort that no one was really ever going to notice. Like, you know, or really appreciate, yeah. but they wanted to do it for themselves. Um, there's a point later where they have Roger accidentally bump his head on a lamp and then the lamp starts swinging. And they had to just, it took so much work to figure out what kind of shadows that would cast and to draw in all those individual shadows. And like that literally became a term in Disney called bumping the lamp. Mm-hmm. And that phrase meant when you were going that extra mile to do something that most likely no one would ever notice or give you credit for. Wow. And so if whenever somebody would really do something amazing, they'd be like, oh, you just bumped the lamp. Like, that's amazing. Like, like they could all, if they were lazier filmmakers, they could have went, let's not have him hit the lamp. You right, know, like, exactly. there are so many times where it's like, they could have just been like, how about Roger doesn't hit that box? And then, then we can save a day's worth of planning. But they were like, no, no, he has to bump into that box, figure out how to make it move. You know what I mean? So it's just, I, it's so impressive. Like, and even just, just going around, seeing each individual person, picking up Eddie's hat, putting yes. it in his face. Like, it's just, you know, squeezing the cheeks of, of Marvin Acme. So all that is such gorgeous animation. But then it's also one of the biggest tropes in film noir is the femme fatale that was one of the first film genres where women kind of had a role other than just kind of like being the woman in the movie or Mm -hmm. being the love interest you could argue you know people have argued that it's not the best representation because most femme fatales are like evil and want to kill people and i was just are true and stuff like that and you know and as the movie plays out you're gonna see how they play on that trope as well to Mm -hmm. make you you know, so if you're familiar with film noir, you see this and go, oh, here's the film fatale, the classic. She probably has something to do with this. You know, right. like, why would a good looking woman like that be with Roger? Like, But really... she was just drawn that way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's uh, one of the greatest lines. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. That's one of the few that came from the book where they were like, we can't give that line up. It's Ooh, too good. Oh, nice. But yeah, we're in the Cotton Club. We see Eddie go to... You know, take some photos of her, and they do the most unspeakable act, which is play patty cake. <laughs> My note was, did they actually play patty cake, or is this alluding to sex? <laughs> but I'm glad they answered it. Yeah, in the, the joke is, it sounds like sex, and then you find out that it is actually patty yeah, cake. Yeah, because I thought they would censor it for the kids watching this yeah. movie, but that's so funny. <laughs> But it actually, like, because she's a tune and Marvin Acme's, like, one of the most child, like, he's, like, the most tune-like person of all time, not like they would play patty cake, you know what I mean? <laughs> wow. Um, but even little things like having Marvin Acme be a real person, because I don't know how much you watch Looney Tunes, but everything was always Acme in that movie. Yes. And so, like, he's a real person who makes these Acme gags that they use in their in their cartoons. Yeah. So, like, I just, I love how... How serious they take the world, you know? <laughs> but yeah, he gets the photos of them playing patty cake, shows it to Roger, who's heartbroken. 
the one effect I still have no idea how they do, and they didn't explain it on any of the DVD features, is you know after Roger takes his drink of alcohol, again, funny joke works into the plot later. Everything yes. is like nothing is wasted. I don't feel like you know you don't just make a joke just to be like isn't that funny? Yeah, if that was an original character, no way they would have let him drink alcohol. Exactly, <laughs> and and also have it be like the thing that saves him later. Right. It's not even just like, because it's one thing to show him drink it and it affects him that hard and he's like, that's why I don't like it. But like, he literally saves the day by getting drunk later. <laughs> but when he fucking dives out of that window and leaves behind, you know, his cartoon yes. cutout, that was like, that the cutout was real. So I just, I don't know how they did that. Like, they literally blew out the window so that when he, when the cartoon character went through it, it left a real life hole. And yeah. I was just like, that's goddamn amazing. Yeah. I, I feel like most of it's just me being like, I don't know how they do that. It was amazing. <laughs> but this kind of kicks in the whole major plot because then Eddie gets a call to find out that Marvin Acme, the guy playing Patty Cake with Roger's wife, has been murdered. Someone dropped a safe on his head. Mm-hmm. And Eddie, he has like an old detective buddy just being like, come check it out for me, you know? And then that's where we meet Judge Doom. <laughs> who I love. I can't believe it took me a second to remember that that this is Back to the Future guy. Yeah, Christopher Lloyd. He's got a he's got a real name. I know, I know. <laughs> but yeah, he just he just finished working on uh, Back to the Future with Robert Zemeckis, so you know, yeah. it makes perfect sense. He uh, he he was pretty scary. I love it. Yeah, I, I got I, I yeah I love that they weren't afraid to go full scary with this guy. And you know, we'll talk about the ending, but there are a lot of there's so many. People who are kids when this came out are talking about how like that was one of the most scarring, like <laughs> scary moments they've seen in, in kids' entertainment. You know oh, what I mean? Well. That's kind of like Willy Wonka in the in the boat, like that boat sequence. That right. was much scarier than everything else. You know, I think what what happens with Judge Doom at the end. If you're young enough, that is fucking traumatizing. Like it's so scary. Right. I love his little minions who are tunes. They're the weasels. Uh, weasels. Yeah. Who reminded me of the hyenas from the Lion King. Yeah, I can <laughs> see that. I mean, this was way before Lion King. Right. Yeah. Th- originally, there were supposed to be seven of them, and they were supposed to be a play on the seven dwarves. Oh. But uh, it was just so much to animate, and they didn't have enough for them all to do, so they cut it down to five. <laughs> They were just like, we, we don't... Yeah. Did, did removing two really help that much? Think, Five is still a lot. <laughs> I think so. Because <laughs> you not only have to animate them, you have to think of what they're going to be doing in every yeah. scene. So I it's mean, like, you could have done four. I guess. <laughs> the weasels who always carry real weapons, which again, oh didn't need to happen. They could have gave them cartoon guns, but like they always had real guns, real bats, real... And I was just like, fucking shit, man. Like, yeah. These things are so nuts. This guy basically comes in and is like, yeah, I discovered a way to kill these tunes yeah and we also found out that he's basically the judge of toontown so he's he's mm-hmm. the one who like not the police over there but you know right. the, the it, one who's in charge of yeah keeping law and order in toontown and yeah it took me that, a minute too yeah. because i was like why is a judge going out where were the cops yeah and, yeah but they, they say in a quick line where they're like how did it how did a dude like like how did a normal dude become the king of toontown and king, but the judge and they were like oh well he spread a bunch of simoleons around which is Mm-hmm. cartoon money mm-hmm. you know and bought the election so again this ninth take they take this noir shit so realistically like people are buying other, you know kids don't understand that kind of shit yeah. like and then this is where we get introduction of the dip which is another scene that is like pretty fucking brutal man when he kills this shoe like that was they didn't have to film it that way you know i was I mean? not expecting that yeah. at all now that i know that they didn't have creative approval over this disney yeah yeah now i'm like oh okay that's how it got made yeah 
they, they stupidly gave it to Steven Spielberg, who let, him do it, let, let Zemeckis make it however he wanted. And they're dead dead. Yeah. It's like, not fake dead. Yeah, they even say, like, again, the parallels to, like, black people and stuff like that. Like, Roger even says, like, you know, there's no justice for tunes anymore, as if to be like, they're just killing us. Like, mm-hmm. they're not they're not giving us fair trials. They're, mm-hmm. they're just, like, if they don't like, if we do something wrong, they that our version of hanging us you know what i mean like mm. so like you know getting put in the dip is almost like getting lynched it's like insane like right. you know and then this is the judge who's supposed to be the guy who is following the law and order and he's the one executing these it. freaking uh measles measles weasels weasels measles. <laughs> measles is a disease these freaking weasels betraying their race oh yeah big time Wow. Oh, yeah, like, they could be argued that they're, like, black police officers during civil rights, you know right. what I mean? Like, you know, putting hoses on their own people, you mm-hmm. know, like, all this shit. Yeah, you know, down to where the dip comes out of a hose at some point. Like, it's all very fucked up. But we basically find out that Roger is the one who is being accused of this murder because, you know, the night before he found out this guy was cheating on him with his wife. Mm-hmm. And now they're all after Roger, hence the title, who framed Roger Rabbit. Right. Yeah. So at this point in the movie, Valiant is like, my job's over. I got paid to do my thing. Oh, well, this really has nothing to do with me anymore. And he sort of heads home. Yep. And what I like is this sort of peeling away at his character where we learn more about him. Mm-hmm. Because in his home, which also happens to be his office. And it's also called Valiant and Valiant private detectives which shows that he started this business with his brother exactly yeah so we already knew he was dead but i really liked how they showed you know they were really close and his desk is still intact like it has a bunch of dust on it and stuff but like you could tell like he really cares about his brother i can't even get rid of his brother's stuff yeah and not only that they they visually show him going through the photos that were still on the camera roll so he not only sees him and dolores having a good time but him and his brother goofing around on set we see them both in the police academy and they're both wearing clown makeup and it says like the two clowns of the force so you notice that not only is he his brother he was actually a very light-hearted happy guy who loved joking around and being silly and like the only eddie we've seen is that everything pisses him off He's, right. he's a sourpuss, as, as I will say, him. I kind of thought he was going to be this sort of grump throughout the entire movie. Yes, give a little because... Yeah, yeah it's a movie. Like He's yeah. going to learn that, like, oh, maybe I should lighten up a little bit. Yeah, but it's it was interesting to know that he was a light character yeah. before all of this And happened. not only that, Roger's hiding in his apartment you know, and mm-hmm. asking him for help. And then he's like, why are you coming to me? And he's like, because every two knows that if you need help, you go to the Valiant well, Yeah, so that caught me out by that surprise. He, they strictly only took tune-related you know mm-hmm. jobs they loved going to toontown they thought it was hilarious they they loved to help tunes and then it wasn't until the tune killed his brother that everything changed and he was just like like you know turned them racist basically yeah <laughs> you liam neeson down the street i mean <laughs> looking for tunes to kill <laughs> on the street i love a legitimate turn i know it's great like yeah i i think like the heart actually works in this movie mm-hmm. like the whole way through like sometimes you just have to believe it and be like okay i get it now he went through a change but like i fucking bought it with eddie and yeah. like to the point like and you get why like the first scene you're almost like why is dolores even like putting up with this guy he seems like a dick but yes. like you realize that like she remembers who he actually is mm-hmm. and doesn't want to like give up on that yeah. you know what i mean and she probably sympathizes for him yeah you know losing your brother is a huge loss like she knew how much it affected him and how close they were. Yeah, so. and even the fact that like their vacation photos with the three of them, like right. they, like they were probably all three pretty close, and you know, so yeah. And then we also, you know, on top of all this great character stuff, we get even just more Roger bouncing around this apartment. Oh God, yo! Even when Roger jumps on his bed, they took the extra effort to have the the, the sheets 
like the press in as if somebody was actually standing on there. Like they didn't have to do that. Yeah. You know, and like I, I just fucking love that. Usually I hate characters like this. Like I wasn't a huge Tom and Jerry fan. Uh huh. Destructive crazy Exactly. Yeah. So but I was just so amazed by Roger Rabbit and how he was animated and the things he was able to do that I was just not annoyed at all. Yeah. It was so entertaining to watch. But I also like I like that Roger was like as goofy as he was, and like he wouldn't take stuff seriously, he was still like legitimately worried for his situation. Like he he actually loved his wife. Like it was actually like it wasn't just him just being like cuckoo cool, 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 cool for cocoa yeah. puffs, you know? Like yeah. This... But he actually had a passion to make people laugh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he could not stop. <laughs> the the fact that they even went like did they really have to handcuff to each other? Like they made it so difficult for themselves. I cannot believe it. <laughs> I know, but even that serves like as a good story purpose because like. Eddie probably wouldn't have initially went along if he wasn't handcuffed to this rabbit. But yes. then he realized if the weasels find him handcuffed to the rabbit, he's going to be just as much trouble as Roger is. Yep. So, like, it makes, again, makes story sense on top of a funny way to show all these visual craziness. Uh, and uh, the fact that he could have gotten out the whole that's time. That's one of my favorite lines. <laughs> when he's like, you're telling me you could have got out of those cuffs anytime? He goes, not anytime, only when it was funny. <laughs> and, like, in that moment, it was funny. Like, yep. Does this help? I mean, I'll, I'll just glance over some of these, but the weasels coming into his apartment, that was another just so much great effects of the guns floating around, getting put in his face, and these real guns. And again, a lot of those were just a lot of animatronics where they would build like an animatronic arm that could push a gun forward into his cheek, and then they would just draw over it, and then there would be a, a weasel doing it. Wow. And just so amazing. And, you know, sometimes the guns were on strings, and sometimes they were robot hands, but like it was always our puppeteers. Mm-hmm. It's always something so good. And I want to kind of talk a little bit about the bar scene when he takes her to Dolores's bar. So, you know, Eddie's out trying to get some clues. He comes back and we get Roger just singing and dancing for everyone because he can't not entertain. Like, it's, it's, his, it's his goal in life, you know? And even, you know, little things when, when he's talking to Roger in that back room and, like, telling him, like, you have to stay quiet. And he's just like, and he's, like, they literally have Roger standing on a soapbox while he's giving his impassioned speech <laughs> about, like, what's happening to tunes out there and all that. Mm. And I love that. Wow, and then, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Yo, when he's when he's singing his song and then he's uh, the record starts skipping and he keeps breaking the plates over his head, like that was another really complicated animatronics that they figured out a machine that could pick up the plates and then smash it over its own head. Because all those plates were real; those are real plates getting smashed yeah. on fake Roger. And it's just like these animatronics. I'm showing you this Blu-ray afterwards. You got to oh see some of this footage. God. It's so it's so impressive. And then Judge Doom comes in and we got the hilarious uh, shave and a haircut moment. Oh, God. <laughs> this reminded me of Michael Scott in The Office. Like, he can't resist saying like, it. Like, that's what she said? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Wow, that is really hard. You really think you can go all day long? Well, you always left me satisfied and smiling, so. That's what she said. <laughs> Michael, please. Please. Come on. So he just knows, like, there's no no tune can resist the classic shave and a haircut. (laughs) (laughs) So he's just going around knocking. (laughs) And then Roger's, like, tweaking out in the back. That was fucking great. Even this action sequence is great. Like, the way he's fighting the weasels, they're hitting him back. And, like, Bob Hoskins talks on the DVD of just, like, you know, they, he went to mime school so he could learn how to do this, like how to act like there's weight in his hand when there isn't, how to react to getting mm. hit, like how to, because it's so hard. Like he's, he always, when Roger's like climbing on him, like you feel like there's like f- 
actual weight on his chest, you know? Like, right. It's really impressive. It's so good. I didn't even know we were going to beat up tunes in this. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know why I wrote that down after he literally murdered a tune shoe. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, we're beating up tunes? Come on, Masha, get it together. <laughs> but the way they get away, right, is that shot of alcohol. Yeah, it, it called That's back again. Roger, Roger drinks the alcohol, just ends up turning into this like steam engine or whatever the hell it was again <laughs> the steam whistle right and then yeah they escape and then uh is that when they got benny the cab i think so yes yeah. because he was in the back of the uh weasel's car yeah yeah um and then yeah again just me praising this animation them figuring out how to get like bob hoskins in this animated car and then driving around and then the extra effort, and then they put the animated weasels in the real car. Like, they didn't <laughs> have to do that. The weasels could have had a fake car, too. Freaking overachievers you know? over and here. And so, yeah, the, they, there's some good footage of the car driving around on the DVD, too, where it's like it's just this like little go-kart buggy that Bob Coskins had to drive around, and then they would animate Benny over it mm-hmm. and do all these crazy turns and stuff. And there are actually a couple of shots where Bob Hoskins is animated, too, because it was too dangerous to have like a real stunt performer. So oh. it goes real fast. You kind of have to frame by frame it. But, yeah, he's they, they had to cartoon him up a couple of times. Too. Wow, and the kind of the the main driving factor too. It's not just clearing Roger's name, but they found out that Acme, the guy who died, is the one who owns Toontown, mm-hmm. and supposedly he has a will that was gonna when he died he was gonna leave the tune Toontown to the tunes, but that will hasn't been found. And Judge Doom, if he doesn't, if nobody finds it in twenty four hours, he's gonna get control of Toontown. So right. the stakes are a little bit higher than just is Roger guilty and and should we you know rescue him. Such and a then, complex plot for this movie. Well, that's the that's the noir aspect. Like most film noirs have so many twists and turns that unless you're really paying attention, it's very easy to just get lost of like it's kind of the whole like don't trust anybody angle, mm-hmm. which I love because you know, every time we meet someone, they claim it wasn't them, but are they lying? Is just the rabbit, you know, pretending? Is she is she trying to kill Roger? Is she trying to set him up? So I just love like again the effort they put into actually making this a film noir that can stand up to the greats, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I put this right next to fucking The Maltese Falcon and The Postman Always Rings Twice and all these great film noirs. It it plays right alongside with them and doesn't dumb it down for kids by any means. Like I mm-hmm. said, I didn't really understand this plot when I was younger and watching it. I just I just went with it for the jokes and stuff. I, I couldn't keep track of who was betraying who, right. who, who had what invested in what, to the point where I still can't even recall it that good here. So, like, I'm not going to go too hard on all that. I want to talk just more about, like, real awesome sequences or things that stood out to you or to myself what i really liked was valiant going to toontown seeing him in the world is one very impressive but even seeing him having a toontown gun yeah was crazy like what you can't use real weapons in toontown (laughs) well uh, yeah i guess not i mean i guess you can but I don't know. Maybe it, was... it hurts tunes more. Oh. But I even like the little joke, like it was inscribed that it was a gift from Yosemite Sam because he got him out of jail. So yes. like, I was like, that's pretty hilarious. Like, you know. But and... again, that builds the world that he used to be the detective for the tunes. Like he would uh, he would help exonerate any tunes that had problems. Oh God. And I love that even items in this world have our personalities. Yeah. Like the bullets, he shot them all out and they're like Where'd he go? You know, yeah, like, yeah. But even when he first opens it up, they're like, oh my God, Eddie, we haven't seen you in so long. As to be like, that's how long he's hated tunes. That yes. like, they didn't even, he didn't take them out of their box, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah, that stuff's really good. And then this is the one time the movie does take a stance against drinking because Eddie finally decides to stop stop being an alcoholic in this moment that he doesn't need the he doesn't need his whiskey. Yeah. So he throws it in the air and shoots it. 
which is pretty great. Good for him. And then, yeah, so he's in Toontown looking for Jessica because earlier in the scene we saw R.K. Maroon get shot and then he thinks it was Jessica. And I will admit, I did fall into the trap. I thought Jessica was not going to be a good person at well, the end of this. Well, to be f- yeah, and to be fair, there was a point where she hits Roger over the head with a frying pan and puts him in the trunk of a car. Yes. So, you know, like, they know that that's what you, sh- you would be expecting mm-hmm. is that she's... She's the evil femme fatale. I w- and I didn't say this earlier, but I did find it so humorous how these real guys were so attracted to this animated character. <laughs> and I know it's a thing like in real life for people to be attracted to animated characters. Yeah. So especially just a rabbit. Like I, I think there's probably a lot of young boys who are watching this movie. Like yeah, I don't know. Getting I f- a little hot under the collar during her scenes. I I can't judge. I'm not going to. It, I find it so interesting, but at the same time, if I were to pull up a mirror to myself, I'm like Masha. There are so many animated characters you had a crush on, so yeah. don't even try and play, <laughs> you know, like Aladdin. I had a crush right? on Dimitri from Anastasia. Like, don't even try it. Yeah. <laughs> But it's so interesting. I mean, she was a very attractive character, I mean, sure. Yeah, they they literally just went for, like, the most unreal... Like, they just what took every, like, traditionally attractive feature and just put it into one woman, even though it would have... Like, they even said, they were like, if that woman was real, she would fall over. Like, you can't <laughs> have a waist that big and breast that big with a... With a no, no, sorry. Like, your your, bo- your butt and your tits that big with your waist that thin. Yeah. Like, it's just impossible. Like Oh, people try. Oh, they try, but that like yes it's ridiculous <laughs> with eddie in toontown they don't waste any opportunity to just have him interacting in such crazy ways that couldn't happen in the real one whether he's flying around the elevator falling through the sky with mickey and bugs bunny <laughs> we get the fake jessica rabbit with the crazy face oh <laughs> wow know? she was scary oh man <laughs> <laughs> when they ultimately get caught by Mr. Doom, Judge Doom, and Mr. I don't, why Mr. am I calling everyone Mr. today? <laughs> Mr. Rabbit got caught by Mr. Doom, <laughs> and Mrs. Rabbit came over. <laughs> when Judge Doom and the Weasels eventually catch them, I was not expecting the joke about the booby trap. Oh yeah, <laughs> because the Weasel searches her and goes straight, straight for the chest. <laughs> yep. And I was like, oh my God, we're doing this in an animated movie? But oh, I don't know if this point was your, like, there was so much. No, because I felt like they went even further with that yeah, joke. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Because that's sexual assault. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we already had Baby Herman basically stick his hand up a woman's skirt earlier yeah, in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was, like, the one, you know? I didn't know we were going to do it. You get one movie, you don't get two. <laughs> but yeah, that was just there for their little pun joke and movie yeah. trap, which is great. But because I think this movie actually does have a little final end twist, I think we should talk about them being captured in the warehouse in a spoiler section. So now we're in the warehouse scene. We've pretty much learned that Jessica Rabbit is not the one that they should be worried about. You know, she she was actually doing everything she was to try to protect Roger and keep him safe. Mm-hmm. Whether whether it was, you know, posing for the pictures or hitting him. She basically hit him over the head just to get him to safety, you know? Right. And it's just so funny, too, because, like, Yes, he's a rabbit and she's a woman, but also, like, I don't know what an attractive rabbit is, but I don't think Roger is that. He's well, very goofy it's with not his because, bow ties. <laughs> it's not because it's, he's attractive. It's because he makes her laugh. Yeah, that's a great line. <laughs> and we're getting doom here. We're learning that he's going to essentially tear down Toontown in order to build a, a highway, you know, through <laughs> it. We kind of alluded to this earlier when we were talking about the plot. Yeah. This also goes back to the whole cartoons as races because there were those plans of 
they wanted to destroy a bunch of low-income neighborhoods to make room for highways because mm-hmm. they were like, we have to shit if we displace all these people. Like, it doesn't matter. Right. So that was that was the tune angle of that as well again. Oh, so dark. Yeah. And again, there's so much intricacies to the plot that we're not going to get into of, like, who who betrayed who and why. But that's that's the overall kind of plan is that you realize that he's just going to destroy Toontown. Yeah. And he's got all... What it, what it, what is that uh, substance? The that? Dip. Yeah. yeah. He's got a bunch of dip. Yeah, exactly. A bunch of dip on a, on a hose that he's ready that he said he could wipe Toontown off in mere hours like off the map um oh fun thing i forgot to mention too the they mentioned the ingredients of dip early Mm -hmm. on and um it's actually it's what animators used to use to basically erase tunes off of cells because they were able in small doses that could clean off an image off a cell without destroying the whole cell so a cell uh, an animation cell a cell of animation oh okay okay what essentially becomes a frame but gotcha i didn't know they were called cells yeah yeah, they're called cells so it's you watched a whole documentary, Andy. <laughs> Not everyone's gonna know what a cell is. Uh, I knew what a cell was oh. way before. I... Whatever. There's oh. someone listening who didn't know what a cell was. So it's basically it's it's the ingredients of paint thinner, but it's what's used to actually erase tunes off of cells if they wow. ever needed to like fix something or make a, a change. So even that's like a real world. Wow. You know, a real world oh, application an of it. Joke. Yeah, exactly. Cute. I as silly as it is, like I truly buy Eddie's transformation into learning that he needed to lighten up and use humor to save the day because the whole movie the weasels have been breaking out in laughing fits and someone keeps having to stop them from laughing because they keep going like remember what happened last time you can't <laughs> ki- stop laughing like that's always the thing yes and then we find that they end up laughing themselves to death <laughs> and you know what'd you think of eddie's uh song and dance oh i loved it <laughs> that was great and it totally fit his character too from going to from being tune hating and joy hating to then basically becoming a tune in order to to save the day from these guys yeah and speaking of becoming a tune this was a twist yes so this is what i was talking about earlier that people cite as you know one of the scariest childhood moments in movies mm. is judge we find that judge dune is not only a tune but he's the tune that killed Eddie's brother and just the way it's revealed is so scary like with the red eyes because earlier eddie described what the tune looked and sounded like he said he had red eyes a high-pitched voice an evil laugh and you know, I'm just gonna play the clip right here of of him unveiling himself. Remember me, Eddie? When I killed your brother, I talked just like this was freaking scary. That was so chilly, and he talked. I like didn't. This. those eyes were i know the red eyes i was scared i was gonna have a dream about them oh wow that's funny (laughs) or about this character and when you watch this movie knowing that twist like they like you can really see them see that he is a tune throughout the thing like the first time he uses the dip he puts that rubber glove on and like i didn't really think of it but like the dip's not harmful to humans so i would need to put that rubber glove on to dip the shoe when eddie dumps the dip in the bar during the fight scene he's the first one to jump up on top of a chair Mm. you know it's like him and the weasels both jump out of the way you know he's covered head to toe in in clothes so you never actually see his skin other than his face which we find out is a mask yeah so like underneath all his clothes he actually too and one little touch that i didn't notice but they talked about it on the dvd was in almost every scene he's in his clothes and his cape is getting blown by wind, even when he's indoors and wind oh. wouldn't be blowing. Because it was always a trope that like villains would have like a billowing cape in cartoons. Right. So even when he's indoors and there should be no realistic wind in there, his clothes is still billowing. Uh. Like they would put a fan on the actor, you know? Yeah. So they did. A, so there's a lot of good like seating that he actually is a tune. Man, that was scary. 
but cool reveal. Absolutely. I, I agree with everybody. This is a pretty scary villain. Yeah, it's so, yeah, it's so fucking creepy. It makes me do wonder, though, like, I guess because Toons don't need to live in Toontown, but it is also like, man, that's even more fucked up that he's willing to just, like, kill a bunch of Toons. And, like, yeah. we don't even really know why. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I just thought this fight was really just well filmed, like the way using all these a- animated weapons and, and toys and things from earlier. Yeah. And then even like the little callbacks, the little, uh, the the big hammer that shoots the spring-loaded boxing glove, like that's what saves the day because yes. Eddie remembers it from earlier. So again, it's just perfect, like perfect seating and payoff. Yeah. Absolutely. When you saw, I know we, we just talked about the reveal, but when Judge Doom first got squished to death, like where you, I remember you thinking, you, you thought his head was going to explode. You yeah. Were like, <laughs> Oh, that was I so was pretty great. scared of that one. Yeah. Well, no, I was scared that they were going to show it because earlier we saw Maroon, Maroon get shot, yeah, well, like which surprised split. me. Yeah. Um, I wasn't expecting like to see, you know, you cut away and you hear the bullets, you cut back, he's exactly. dead. Like I wasn't uh, expecting yeah. the thing. Because so. even in old noirs, they would never show it. Like it would just be psh, psh, and then someone would go and hold their side and fall over. Exactly. So I was like, are these people going to show his head being yeah. like smushed? Yep. So yeah, I, I looked away. Uh, but yeah, they stop Judge Doom. <laughs> they exonerate Roger. They find out that Doom's in the one behind the whole thing. And then, you know, they're still worried though that another crazy tycoon could come and take over Toontown. But then the disappearing ink gag from earlier comes back, mm. and we find out that it's disappearing and reappearing ink. <laughs> and so the bank, the blank piece of paper they've had the whole movie had the will on it. Yeah. And then they get to save Toontown. Eddie's no longer a grump. Him and Dolores were back in love. Cute. And it's just a nice, fucking awesome ending. And then it's just a final button to to pay respects to the double, the Warner Brothers and Disney. You get Porky Pig. That's all, <laughs> folks. And then right at the very end, Tinkerbell comes in just to click it away. Just to I be like, like Disney and Warner Brothers working together. What all a right. nice collaboration. Yeah. See, studios, you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Warner Brothers now, they're the, they're the masters of putting all their IP and shit. Because I haven't watched the Space Jam 2 trailer. Because as you know, my anti-trailer policy, I don't watch trailers anymore. Right. But I've seen some screenshots. And it's not Looney Tunes meets NBA. It's everything meets NBA. Wow. Like I saw Pennywise the Clowns in the movie. I saw what? like like they're just doing everybody they own. I mean, similar with Lego, like le- like like Lego Batman. You think, oh, it's going to be a bunch of Lego characters, but then they fight Voldemort and Sauron in the movie. <laughs> like you know, it's anyone that they own. So it's like, wow, it's not. They, That's they're just kind of fun. They throw the kitchen. Yeah, I like Lego Batman, but so they throw in the kitchen sink at everything. So like. I guess to young kids nowadays, this probably isn't as like crazy. Yes. But I can still put myself in that still shoes of being like, this is nuts that we're doing this. Yeah. Like, Tinkerbell and Porky Pig on the same fucking screen. I'm more intrigued about how it's going to look. What? The new space Jam. Oh, movie. yeah. I feel like, I think I've seen some a lot of screenshots where it's 3D animation, which is, oh. eh. I've <laughs> seen, there's there's also some, some 2D stuff, but just every, I just think ever since the 2000s, like, We've seen it, like, I remember when Scooby-Doo came out, it was a really big deal that there was going to be an animated Scooby-Doo interacting with real people. Yeah. But now, at this point, that's fucking everything. Like, I'm not impressed that Tom and Jerry are living the real world in the new Tom and Jerry. They might have done a good job, but, like, at the same time, it's not, it's just not new anymore. Like, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And, like, because they did it, I watched a couple of clips from uh, Mary Poppins Returns, because Mary Poppins is one of the most famous examples of cartoon live action hybrid right and so they actually did do it with 2d animation and it looks pretty cool but it's um it's still just you know we're in the age where i just it's not as easy to be impressed by it anymore so when i'm seeing lin-man well miranda dancing with penguins i'm like cool 
But Dick Van Dyke also did it 60 years ago, you know, so. Turn. Or 70 years ago at this point. <laughs> well, I want to talk about my favorite moments. So do you want to dive into best worst? Let's do it. All right. So we're here to do uh, some best best because there is nothing worse about this movie because it's <laughs> awesome. All right. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of great dialogue in this movie. So favorite lines? Ooh. Best worst lines? All right. <clears throat> I didn't have that one planned, so you go first. Let me think about it. Okay. It's not really like a clever line, but I really enjoyed the patty cake moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so patty <I> think cake. <laughs> they're playing patty cake. I like the line right after it, too, when he's like, come on, son. You think you're the first guy whose wife played patty cake behind his back? <laughs> that, was, exactly. that was a great line. So I'm going to pick that one. It's, I know it's more of a moment, but yeah. I really enjoyed that I mean, patty cakes were so like yeah <laughs> patty cake <laughs> and i love how he flips through the pictures and like he just keeps like oh. going through the same photos so it's just like a flip book of them playing patty cake <laughs> yeah that's so good i think if i have to go all time it, i think it actually probably is the jessica rabbit line i'm not bad i'm just drawn that way mm. that was even ranked on one of those like lists like 100 best movie quotes of all time it was in like the 30s like it's it's up there with frankly my dear i don't give a damn because I watched this so many times, every time something else sticks out to me. And for some reason, probably not my favorite line of all time, but this viewing, the one that made me laugh the most, or it caught me off guard, was at the end after Roger and Jessica get untied or whatever. You know, he looks at Jessica and he's like, he's got the gun and he's like, sorry, baby, I'd love to come in and kiss you. But first, I have to satisfy my sense of moral outrage. And, like, <laughs> and he like points his gun. I don't know. It just made me really laugh, like in that silly Roger voice with a lisp and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that might be my favorite one. Uh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. And then worst. I'm just going to choose it because it's not the first time I've seen it before. But when they're in the bar, when Valiant tries to give Roger Rabbit a shot uh-huh. to save his life, that exchange of, yes, you want it. No, I don't. Yes, you want <laughs> oh, it. I love that. And the, you know, the bait and switch. Yeah. I mean, that was there to be an homage to that old because that's what Bugs Bunny would always do. I know. I'm not saying it's bad. Right. Yeah. I should also mention my runner up for best was. Who you calling a chump, chimp? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. I guess I don't even not like it, but if I had to pick one, maybe just because it's not as clever as so many other lines is. After Eddie tricks the fake just to go into running into along the line into the wall, and he just goes, Tunes gets him every time. <laughs> I don't hate the line, but it's also like, it's not as clever as a lot of the other lines are. Got it. You know, so probably that one if I had to pick. All right. Uh, I'm going to go best worst uh, cameo from side characters, ah. like, a, like an already established character. Nice. That's not original to this movie. My best is uh, Betty Boop in the in the club. Oh, I, I felt bad for Betty Boop I, in the club. That's why it's so good because it's funny. It's like heartbreaking and it builds the world because it's, you know, she's working as a waitress because ever since cartoons went to color, she lost her appeal. Yeah. A, that's historically accurate because Betty Boop was only around for like six years. I looked up the years of like 40, like three to 49. That's then, actually surprising. And then, it, and then she just died off because it was like people didn't give a shit about that old style of cartoon anymore. Mm-hmm. So A, it was realistic. B, it was our first hint that Eddie actually has a used to have a good relationship with Toons. Because at this point in the movie, we don't know that he used to be a Toon detective. Mm. And we only know him as a hard ass. So the fact that he's even like nice to Betty and she's like, I still got it, Eddie. He's like, yeah, you still got it. You know, like, mm. so it means it shows us that at some point in his past, 
he had an affection for at least Betty for some reason. Right. And it was a second commentary on when movies went from sound silence to sound, a lot of actresses and actors lost work because they weren't ready for that transition. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a commentary on that shift in Hollywood where the black and white tunes weren't ready for the transition over to color tunes. So I just think it packs so much in one quick line from funny to heartfelt to world building. It's the perfect cameo. Yeah, I think that's a great one. My best is going to be the ducks. Oh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, it's so Man, funny. That, that was the best verses if I've ever seen one. Yeah, and the fact that it was even just real pianos is, again, just marvelous, like how they even pulled it, pulled it off <laughs> in the first place, the whole from oh. the cannon shot and everything. Yeah, just the physical comedy of it all, and I really love the banter between them. Like, oh, this guy's got a speech impediment, or I don't even remember what the dialogue was. Yeah. But uh, I thought it was really funny. It's just funny because they both... Have, have quote, it. Have a speech impediment of some kind. Yes. One lists and one's like. <laughs> so I just thought that was hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Actually, I know my, my worst. Uh oh. When Eddie's looking at Toontown in the distance for the first time, and then Yosemite Sam flies out of Toontown and his like butts on fire, and he's doing the Yosemite Sam thing. Yes. And the only reason it's my worst is because later we established that Yosemite Sam is the one who gifted him that gun and that they're friends. So I feel like the fact that they don't even acknowledge each other or say anything is mm. a little bit weak for building the world. They could, they could have used Foghorn Leghorn or any other character and it would have been fine. So I thought it was funny. Like, I, I don't think it doesn't work in the moment. But later when you see the whole movie, you're like, wait, that's one of the tunes he actually has a good relationship with. He right. should have, they should have at least acknowledged each other. So I got to give that one the worst. Fair. Uh, but that's stretching too because I love all of them. I can't really pick on a, a worst because I, I have no issue with anybody. That's how I felt. That's why I had to pick this. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'll pick Mickey Mouse just because even though it was fun to see him on screen he doesn't really have like as much of a personality as bugs bunny oh yeah like bugs is actually the one who like pranks eddie and all that right mickey's trying to be goody two shoes and just being like oh exactly so i'm sorry to the mouse i've never liked mickey mouse my whole life so (laughs) i don't give a shit i I don't have i i don't care it's so weird and i can never remember why but i was obsessed with Minnie mouse as a kid i feel like a lot of girls are i guess so but like i don't even remember why i liked her but i had you know, you're super small when you're a kid, so I had a doll that was the same size as me, uh-huh. essentially, of Minnie Mouse, and I would take her everywhere with me. Nice. Like, yeah, I don't know. But anyway. Cool. <laughs> Sorry, Mouse. Awesome. All right, what's your next one? All right, so I know we went on and on about how visually amazing this movie is, but I am going to say best worst shot because I actually do have a worst. Oh, interesting. Um, And I guess I'll start out with that. Because I think they really mastered, you know, the close-up shots, the eye lines, the interactions between live action and animation. But I did find some flaws with the wide shots towards the end of the movie when they're in that, I guess, warehouse yeah. where that whole big scene happened. For some reason, when they pulled out, that's when it started to sort of disassociate for me. Like, it didn't seem real okay everything else in the movie seemed real but for some reason that wide shot was not you mean like all the weasels doing something else or or i don't remember exactly um it's where i mean i i don't necessarily remember what was happening but it's in the warehouse where valiant roger rabbit jessica rabbit and um the judge like everybody's in that room Mm -hmm. and it's just wide okay i gotta have to re-see it yeah so 
sorry. Okay. But everything else was great. But that's my worst. <laughs> okay. Um, and you have to pick one. I know, but I got a <laughs> shot. Because I was, I, mine was going to be best worst, like, special effect. But oh. I feel like that could easily kind of blend into this. Because my best shot's going to be the same as my best special effect. Oh, okay. So maybe uh, let's just Yeah, just effect shot. I don't know. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll blend right. it together. So do you want to do, do you want to do yours then? Yeah, um, I have to think about worst, but I'll just go for my best then, um, because it is a single shot, but it's also my favorite effect. And I mentioned it earlier, but when when Roger runs out of that window and mm-hmm. leaves behind a rabbit-shaped hole, and they actually cut a hole, like, I don't know how they did it. I truly <laughs> don't understand. And they try and pull the shade down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's my favorite shot of the movie, is is just the, the image of the cutout in the window. Cool. I feel like if I were to rewatch the movie again, it would probably be a different shot. But I think anything to do with Valiant and Roger Rabbit in handcuffs was just amazing. Yeah, that's some good stuff. I think the animation's great, and then just that actor acting as if there's a rabbit attached to him. Yeah, is amazing. And caveat, not worse. I don't, I don't not like it, but <laughs> I have to boil it down to Toontown only because as cool as it looks to me it's never going to look as cool as the tunes interacting with real objects mm. we've seen up to this point a lot of like most times when animation and live action hybrids have been done in movies up to this before Roger Rabbit it was always like a human being surrounded by cartoons everywhere and that's a lot easier to do you can mm-hmm. just shoot a human in front of like a green screen or whatever they used to do back in the 50s and then animate everything around them like song of the south or mary poppins so i think just eddie valiant falling with bugs and mickey next to him it just it lacks like weight or like i don't know it's just so cartoony like i don't actually feel like he's falling and i like it i think it's hilarious and i liked all the jokes in it but if i really had to pick I think that's the one area of the movie where it looks really good, but it's not groundbreakingly good, mm-hmm. which is fucking me being a dick because the whole movie is to be groundbreaking, but the, everything else in the movie is so astonishing and stuff that I've never seen before done as good before or after. That's probably my least favorite one is just like a shot of him falling with bugs and Mickey next to him. Yeah. Just because we've seen that effect so many times and there wasn't really anything special about it. Yeah. But I still love it. All right. <laughs> Gotta let him know. You still love it. Oh, yeah. Um, I feel like I'm totally going to take back what I said for my best. Okay. Because Judge Doom's face is amazing. And it's freaking scary. Yes, it is. So I might have to swap that in. I like it. (laughs) I will accept it. All right. I guess we can move on. Beyond the credits. So for a movie this popular, it's pretty insane that it never got a sequel. Mm. Um, it's actually pretty insane that Roger Rabbit's not as popular as you would expect him to be, you mm-hmm. know, based on how successful this movie was. Disney did try to establish him as like a as a canonical cartoon character going forward, and they did make some stuff, but it just it never quite hit. Like he didn't become like a Bugs Bunny or something like that or a Mickey yeah. Mouse. So there were a, a lot of times that they did try to get sequels off the ground for this. It just never happened. Just based, I think they all just remembered how hard it was to make, and like, <laughs> you know, you really have to be passionate. You can't just like hire some schmoes to make something like this. Like you right. really, so it never got off the ground. They did end up producing uh, like three Roger Rabbit shorts that they put in front of movies. Like if you went to see like Honey I Shrunk the Kids, they Aww. played a Roger Rabbit short beforehand. They're all on the Blu-ray. They're they're like fun, but they're they're just kind of standard cartoons. There's nothing really like to me that like makes them that that special. 
But, you know, they tried, like, Roger Rabbit had an appearance when NBC aired Mickey's 60th birthday in 1991. So, like, Roger Rabbit came out to introduce it because he was the most popular Disney character at the time. Aww. He never, they never got, like, a, a, a Roger Rabbit TV show or anything out of it, right. you know, or, like, made other movies with him. I imagine that even if they were trying to pull off something, who owns Roger Rabbit at this point? Is it, is it Disney? Yeah, Disney. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They, they have the rights to all this stuff, so. All right. Outside of like the Warner Brothers stuff, but it was in the contract with gotcha. you. You're not gonna own Bugs Bunny just because we're putting it. In your yeah, movie. I just didn't know that if they had any rights to any of the original characters that were made in this movie. Oh, yeah, but no, I they... guess they just signed over the rights to their original characters. Well, that's to what be used. when I, when they bought the rights of the book in 1981. That's once they buy the rights, they own it. Uh, the... yeah, true, true. Not the book version. Like Disney can't put out a book because the authors made sequel books, right? But um, in movie form. And this version of Roger that we know it like that we can see mm-hmm. is is uh, is theirs. All right. Um, but there was there was the closest attempt to a prequel that what they were trying to make in the '90s that had a pretty wild uh, <laughs> a pretty wild plot. So the the prequel would have been called uh, Toon Platoon, and mm-hmm. it was going to be about a young Roger who moved to Hollywood to become a movie star. So he was like leaving his little hometown to go. You know, try and make it in, in the pictures. And then over the course of the movie, he was going to meet Jessica Rabbit. They were going to fall in love. And then because it's a prequel, it, it would have taken place in the 30s. So it would have been during World War II. And through a series of events, Jessica would have gototten kidnapped by some Nazis. Oh my God. Uh, into and you know, brought over to Nazi Germany. They're going to show Nazis a- in a Disney then, movie? Yeah, they're showing murders and deaths in it. I know, but Nazis. Yeah, but Captain America was fighting Nazis and like everybody was fighting Nazis. I know, but then. that's okay. Anyway. Indiana Jones fought Nazis. Oh, did he? I never saw those wow. movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every Indiana Jones except for the first one. The bad guys are Nazis. Everyone? Yeah, they all took place in the 30s. Damn. All right, not, not the second one. First and the third. Okay. First and the third. I don't want to get any fucking texts <laughs> later on saying that I, I miscalculated how many Nazis are in Indiana Jones. The first and the third, people. <laughs> so, uh, and then the, the, the second kind of half of the thing would have been roger grabbing all his toon friends to create like a team that was going to go and like parachute into germany and try to save jessica and that's why it was toon platoon and all this stuff and then what you said isn't that crazy because it was actually steven spielberg it was it was the 90s and he just really especially he just made schindler's list you know that's a lot of nazis he's had he's had family who was in the holocaust that he takes it very seriously and he was like guys i just can't make this light i can't make a lighthearted movie about nazis like yeah so steven spielberg kind of was just like i am not interested and that really was like the end of that like they they were like if he's not doing it we're not doing it they've talked you know literally as recently as like five six years ago of still like trying to make a new one but it just never seems to get off the ground Mm. i think just the amount of work it takes to technically do it and you know like i imagine if they tried to do it now with computer animation people just wouldn't be excited about it right Uh, you know so it's interesting, though, because as someone who's watching it for the first time, I know Roger is a main character, but it truly feels like an ensemble film. You know, like he doesn't stick out to me as the maker of this storyline. Okay. Like, I don't know, like Valiant is a very cool character to follow and see his journey yeah. um, throughout. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's like the emotional arc of the whole story. Exactly. Like, it's, it's him getting over his brother and learning to beat to laugh again i think that's why there's a disconnect for me to sort of follow roger yeah i mean that's why like i'm not that excited about the roger rabbit shorts like i watched them but like they're Mm -hmm. not i don't think they're like essential to watch alongside this you know like i think 
and uh and yeah plus with when bob hoskins died like that just also was another mm-hmm. you know like he because he was he was always down to do another one and then he died and they were just like ah i guess now we, we lost our eddie valiant we lost this you know yeah and the, i mean i think they would have to to make it really good they would also have to make it in the style of a whole different genre of film i think if they tried to make another noir it would have just felt stale mm. so that's why i thought the toon platoon was actually kind of cool because it was kind of like those like the great escape or one of these kind of like action war movies from from like the next era so that would have been fun Mm -hmm. to kind of like satirize a whole new genre of movie you can't make another detective hard-boiled killer movie like it just would have feels it would feel lazy like what are we doing so i could see why the pressure to make a sequel why they wouldn't do it like you know what i mean it's almost like we can't we don't want to touch this just yet you know totally Similar to some other movies we did in 2016, it was added to the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. Turn up. Because it's very, uh, it's very Man, good. That, they should just start listening to our podcast and be like, what films should we add here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you have any anything but Beyond the Credits? I did not do my homework. <laughs> but I think that this is totally this totally works as a standalone. Oh, yeah. It wraps up the story perfectly. Like. And yeah, the story's wrapped up. The animation, it's like, yeah, if I saw it again, it wouldn't feel the same. It wouldn't have the same, yeah. Yeah, so I think it's a one-and-done sort of thing. Yeah, and also, like, there's not much speculation character-wise, like... I don't think Eddie goes back to the booze. Like yeah. I, I think Roger and, and Ra- Roger and Jessica happily ever after. Toontown's owned by the Toons. I think the only thing that would make this sort of new for me is to explore other Toons, like other characters. Like I wouldn't want this to be made, but like Avatar characters and like other like other IP and other animated characters in a movie like this, rather than the same revisiting the same characters. Yeah, but even that, I I think we're we're losing the point of the story because this movie's not dependent on the uh, cameos by any means. You know, if you if you changed all those cameos, you'd lose jokes and like winking moments, but the movie wouldn't suffer. So I think if they tried to make a sequel that was like, no, we have new IP. It's just like that's not the point. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's not like it's it's they, they would lose the heart. The, the the heart is about an alcoholic who misses his brother. Like that's what the right. story is. So. But yeah, I'm saying you can make a new story, but I wouldn't really be interested in a new story with these characters today. Yeah, it would have to be new modern animated characters with the new story. Yeah, well, maybe I love Space Jam because <laughs> Pennywise hangs out with. Uh, yeah, we'll I see how that else. goes. King Kong or some shit. No, Whoever God. Warner Brothers owns, which is very silly. And we've seen this formula done since then so many times. I've actually. We haven't had this segment in a while, but uh, I actually found a nice uh, dumbass IMDb trivia <laughs> that made no sense that I had to copy and paste. Sure. I don't know what kind of research this guy think he did, but this <laughs> is not true in every case. So this is what it is. Quote, quote, IMDb trivia. This is the very first film to use character cameos. No, it's Which not. in this case are cartoon characters. This was later done to many other films in the future, such as Toy Story, Toy Cameos, Shrek. Fairy tale cameos, Ice Age, prehistoric animal cameos. Wait, wait, what are you talking <laughs> I <gotta> about? <laughs> Wreck It Ralph, video game characters, Lego Movie, Lego cameos, uh, and the Emoji Movie app cameos, <laughs> respectively. And so far, this is the only one to not receive any sequels. All right, these people got to start putting their sources gotta, down. First of all, the idea of a cameo was not invented that by is... a 1988 movie like it's not oh i don't even know where to begin with that the ice age one is just yeah first of all yeah because you're saying (laughs) character cameos so how are prehistoric animals characters that's just you're setting it in that world and then they're just like wrong where it says lego is lego cameos 
but all the cameos in Lego are other IP. Like, there's no, like, Lego character. You're not like, oh, there's man Lego and lady Lego. You go, oh, there's Superman and there's Batman and there's, you know, like, those are the cameos How in the Lego does, movie. Does IMDb not have enough employees to monitor these oh, there's pages? No, there's absolutely no monitoring on IMDb. Oh we could go write trivia right now. We could write anything we want. Jesus. Tell me that it has, like, thumbs down or something. It had, I don't remember the number, but oh, no. people, people found fa- it helpful. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. But I just found it so funny that it was like the first one to use. Fake news. <laughs> and some of these are real. Like, yeah, Shrek did have fairy tale cameos and Wreck It Ralph did have video game characters, but some of these were like. And they weren't inspired by this movie to have cameos. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. Yeah, Wreck It Ralph, I might argue, that one seems so dependent on this movie existing uh-huh you know because it's about an original video game character living in a world of video game characters so he walks around and like sonic says hello and then mm-hmm. so to me like the record like the dna of rick and ralph is all over this movie uh, i just found that so funny i had to write that one down <laughs> normally they're not dumb enough where i gotta i gotta get them put here but oh man all right masha i have a case i need to plead to you right now oh man so with me and roger rabbit what I, my, my final thoughts on this guy right here so like I said up the top, I, this is probably in my top 10 movies of all time. I never made the list, but I'm, I'm sure it would be on there. It is <laughs> goddamn remarkable. I don't even know if you can narrow it down to 10. I know. I keep saying top 10, <laughs> but I've said it like 30 times. <laughs> like, still to this day, I am floored by these special effects, and I can't think of many other special effects movies that do it every single time. There are ones that blow me away the first time, but then as time goes on, I, I get a little used to it. But this is up there with Terminator 2 and Jurassic Park, just some of the most groundbreaking effects that still hold up today. There are groundbreaking effects that, you know, 10 years later, you're like, it was cool then, but eh, I don't know. I'm not really (laughs) impressed anymore. But not these. These fucking hold up like so good. I don't think there's another special effects driven film that impresses me more than this one. Just from a technical standpoint, I'm always marveled at these guys and, and ladies who made this film. It required... Not only so much work, but just so much effort and challenge of themselves. Like, I didn't mention this earlier because I know you don't know who he is, but there's a famous filmmaker, Terry Gilliam. I love him. He makes great movies. He was offered to direct this movie and he turned it down because he was just like, I don't, I can't be done. That's, that seems like craziness. And then years later in an interview when he was like, oh yeah, I was answering out of pure laziness. He's like, (laughs) he's like, I saw what they were trying to do and I was like the amount of work that would take I have no interest in doing that I am walking away and he's like he is like I regret it every single day like I should have done it you know like I probably could have done it but (laughs) just the the sheer like fear of how much work it was going to take and planning and how easy it could be to fuck it up gives me so much respect for Robert Zemeckis like diving into being like no no I am doing this and we're going to make it as hard as ourselves as possible we are never going to take a single easy road out which is fantastic in a time where we've seen so many animated characters interact with real people, I still just... Nothing looks as good as this. Like, you can watch as many fucking Alvin and the Chipmunkses <laughs> and Tom and Jerry's and Squeakles and all that shit. Hop, fucking James Marsden, Sonic the Hedgehog. It all just looks like somebody looking at nothing. <laughs> you know, like, literally it wasn't until, like, Gollum that I think someone nailed it again. Like, mm. you know what I mean? Like, that was the first time I was like, yeah, no, that's real. Like, that's, that's, a, that's a real guy there. I know it's not, but... He fucking looks like he's hanging out with those hobbitses. And then just taking the technical out, it could have been one of those movies that was technically impressive and then they phoned in the script and the story, but I don't think this movie does that at all. It is, like I said, you take the tunes out of the plot, it works alongside all the great film noirs. This literally could be Chinatown 2 
and I would believe it. If you just put Ed, Jack Nicholson in the role of Eddie Valiant, change his name, this could be Chinatown 2 without even missing a beat. It never dumbs anything down for the kids. So even though it is a kid's movie, it knows that all ages are watching this movie. And by not dumbing it down, you're including the adults, but you're also making... Like, kids like to feel like they're watching adult stuff. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, especially the way I was. I mean, not everybody's me, but, like, I hated being, like, pandered to and just feel like I was watching dumb kid shit. I wanted to watch adult stuff. I wanted to watch The Simpsons. I didn't want to watch... I don't know, fucking whatever else was on Nickelodeon. Like, I really, like, I wanted to feel like I was with the older people. And this movie just, like, doesn't hold your hand. Like, it's just like, hey, you want to watch adult? You want to watch Bugs Bunny? Yeah, you're going to watch someone get shot, too. You know, it's like, you're going to watch someone get kicked in the balls. And, you know, we're going to make the joke. You know, we're not mm -hmm. just going to. So, I just love it. It's never done, done anything down. Judge Doom is legitimately scary. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I think Eddie's story is legitimately touching. Like, I actually, like, like, when he does a song and dance, like, I... I, like i'm not just like pandering to a kid's movie like i feel like a real character who went through growth and i believe the journey he went through of why he went there um and then just the like the love of everything though like they they pay homage to everything so perfectly i think the humor the humor hits alongside old warner brothers the noir stuff hits just like old noir stuff hits and just i just really can't think of like a singular thing that I think that they aimed for and didn't succeed at, you know, it's like they, they really just put in the time and the effort to make this awesome. And it's great that like the world, it wasn't like a cult film where people were like, I don't get it. Like, it just seems like everyone, it clicked with everybody right away. And you know, it's at the time it came out, it was in the top 20 highest grossing movies of all time. And it was the second highest grossing movie of the year. Uh, Rain Man was the only thing that beat it, but Rain Man's hard to beat. It's a great movie. And then when it comes for why I picked it for you to watch, Masha, is I knew you didn't know a lot about it. And this movie has so many fun surprises. And I just like I couldn't imagine you not being delighted at the behind the scenes look at Hollywood, the self meta commentary on the on the business. Mm -hmm. I just thought that would really excite you. I figured between some of those cameos, they got to hit somewhere in your nostalgia, like whether I know you weren't really like a Looney Tunes girl, but like. There, there had to have been some character that showed up that you were just like, oh my god, that's that's great. Mm -hmm. So I thought you'd really enjoy that. I thought the, since you do like thrillers, I thought the mystery angle would actually intrigue you because I do think it works as a mystery plot. I, th I think the twists and turns would have been very fun. And at the end of the day, as an editor, I just thought you would be floored at how they made this movie without computers. You know, like it's, it's they, they didn't have a chance to tweak all day on computer. Like they had to draw cells, put it over other cells, put it through the machine, like... It's just a technical masterpiece that I thought anybody who has anything to do with filmmaking, film editing, would just look at this and be completely floored by it. And at the end of the day, I just find it very funny. That funny, heartfelt, and technically impressive, it kind of hits every beat I think a movie should hit. I think it's smarter than it needs to be, but also more fun than it needs to be. You know, It's not so smart that it's pretentious and, and alienates people, and then it's not so fun and goofy that it's just like stupid. Mm -hmm. It just hits every beat, in my opinion, perfectly. And that is why I thought you would love it. So, Masha, my final question of the day is, do you love what I love? I love it. Please love what I love. <laughs> well, I don't know what to tell you, Andy. <laughs> no, I, I was trying to be Jessica Rabbit. <laughs> that that doesn't uh, translate. Uh, okay. 
I tend to get super defensive automatically when you're like, this is top 10 movie of all time. If you don't like it, go screw yourself kind of thing. (laughs) But you have a point here. (laughs) (laughs) You, You basically touched on all the levels here in terms of the difficulty um, it, it takes to make a movie like this from the animation to the character development of Valiant and the fact that he truly like grew as a character, like who he is at the top of the movie is completely different than who he is at the end. And it's a believable journey and his interaction with all the characters, Roger Rabbit, the story's pretty complex. Um, the, the bad character is believable and actually scary. And it's overall a very fun film. And I hate that I have nothing to argue against it. Why do you... You, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you hate that you have nothing to argue? <laughs> Why do you feel the need that you have to argue? No, I have to. It's versus. <laughs> it's not versus. <laughs> yeah, I I love this film. Uh, you, you got me. I really... That's all, folks. (laughs) No, it's it's really awesome. I I was pleasantly surprised. Um, like every ten minutes, something fun and crazy happened, and it was really just great. And I love learning all of the behind the scenes facts that you brought to the table. And I'm really excited to watch the documentary on the DVD. Nice. So um, yeah, all great things to say. Very cool. You really nailed everything. Awesome. With all my giving love to how much respect they gave to old animation, there's one thing I totally forgot to mention uh, real quick. So this was actually one of the last two projects that Mel Blanc voiced uh, Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck and all his famous characters. Mm. For the entire length of of Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies, Mel Blanc was one of the main voices. Bugs Bunny, he invented all those voices. And he was the only one to do it until his death in 89, uh, two years after this movie, he died. Um, so this was one of the final times outside of like a little TV performance that you get to actually hear the original Bugs Bunny, hear wow. the original Daffy Duck and the fact that they brought him in, even though he was like in his eighties and like probably on his deathbed to, to do these lines. It's just them again, showing that love for the old school. And Man. Just being, like, we got to, got to give it to Mel Blanc. That's lovely. And yeah. also the fact that he's still able to do it at such an old age. Yeah, exactly. So just to hear one final, ain't I a stinker? <laughs> <laughs> it's like awesome. that's sweet well alright folks that is our show thank you so much for listening if you enjoy our podcast please be sure to subscribe and tell a friend also if you have the time take a moment to rate and review every bit of feedback helps I'm Masha I'm Andy and I hope you love what I love Give it, give it, give it, give it. That's all, folks. <laughs>